That's a that, big that, uh, that Travis Scott song has got to be, like, I don't know when Travis Scott recorded that verse or where he recorded that verse. Oh, it's, from the bottom of the well? It sounds like a tin, <laughs> it sounds like a tin can picked up. No, that is literally like that fucking, like, you know, he was in one treehouse and Wayne was in another treehouse. And they had like one, each of them had a tin can. There was a little like little bit of white string, and yeah. <laughs> Gutta Gutta was holding up an iPhone <laughs> and had the speaker on. It was it's like an iPhone like three, like one of the early ones. <laughs> it was a flip phone. Somehow Gutta Gutta owns a flip iPhone. This is the Living Off Borrowed Time Podcast. You hope, I don't know when why I decided to pull into this, but I'm your host, Patrick McGovern, Patrice and RYM, joined as always by Optimal Audio, Caleb, and uh, once again, I botched the intro. Even when we do a cold open, right. I botched the intro. Caleb, Caleb on RYM, yeah. <laughs> yes, Caleb on RYM, look him up. Just search Caleb in the user field and you'll find him. Yeah. Uh, and this week we're doing, well, we decided that, you know, it had been a while since we've done an episode just, you know, with the OG Living Off Borrowed Time uh, two-person format, the two-person weave. And uh, we're going to give that to you this week with not really a formal topic, except that we've been promising for a while that we're going to do a TV supplemental, mainly about the best TV show of all time, by which, of course, I mean vinyl on HBO. I'm sorry. I mean, oh. <laughs> The Wire. That's the one, not Vinyl on HBO. That's the second. You know, I watched. The, you know, I watched like the first three episodes of Vinyl, right? Like way back in the day, like when it came out. I was I mean, like, this is pretty much just like a documentary about the music business. It's so realistic. I was like, this is going to be great, and then it, and then, it, <laughs> and then I, I went into it with such high expectations, <laughs> and then it yeah, was like, Vinyl might is Vinyl the worst HBO prestige drama? No, no way. They've got to do. Vinyl to me, vinyl was just super mid. I don't, no, vinyl was bad. Like if you actually think about what vinyl could have and should have been, and what it sure, was, sure. vinyl was horrible. I mean, I think John from Cincinnati is probably the worst work. Well, no, it's not the worst. John from Cincinnati was the most misguided. All right, hold on. I'm I, I'm looking. Okay, yeah, we need to like HBO, HBO program. I just want to say right now, this is relevant because um, I know you haven't seen the first season, but Euphoria was announced. It's coming back for a second season shortly sometime oh, I, I did want to check that and yeah. that's on my list that is a show that i was i was really intrigued by and i was on it i watched it live like during its run um and it was really good it actually impressed me because it was uh directed by 
Oh, who did the show? Well, for one, it's shot in a way that is better than like 95% of TV because it actually looks like a movie. Well, it's not as TV, a... it's HBO. Oh, yeah. The, the, the <laughs> HBO marketing team hitting hidden your <laughs> No, what is They it? don't do that. They don't say that anymore because I think eventually people made fun of it so much they just re- they just right. like kind of quietly killed that one. But so, all right, so Sam Levinson is who directed it. Um who is kind of like a I think he did something else that was like, eh. So I'm not sure. I was like worried about it. Oh no, no, he's he's the son of Barry Levinson. So I was naturally scared. Like nepotism, yeah. Like this right. Guy. I was naturally like this guy's not going to be good. Um, but yeah, he. Uh, well, he had directed a, a movie that came out a couple years ago called Assassination Nation, which is a pretty fun kind of trashy movie. Um, it's about like these girls in like the zombie apocalypse or something. Like their their town just turns into like the zombie apocalypse, and they have to like you know fight their way out it's like a fun movie um but yes i was like okay so the show's gonna look good because the trailer looked amazing so it's like all right the show's gonna look good but i i just i don't know how he's gonna like deal with these characters because it's basically like a modern day like skins essentially where it's like following high school students and it's like drugs and identity issues yeah it kind of reminded me of from the advertising of that film what's called american honey or uh the one with shia labeouf and yeah american honey yeah yeah, which was a better movie than i expected and really getting into a fight with my wife about um at the very end they use a song that i was like this song is great and it's perfect for the scene i need to look it up and she looked it up and she's like oh it's by this guy rory I'm like, no, it's not. This is a good song. It's not by Rory. <laughs> it is not by fucking Rory. Like, did yes, you did is. you did you listen to it and did you eat harvest sun chips while you were listening to it? <laughs> <laughs> did you eat yeah. did you eat and, and I I'm prefacing this by saying I, I do like this snack, but did you eat uh some nice wheat thins while listening to it? Some triscuits? <laughs> yes, I ate unflavored triscuits and I washed them down <laughs> with a cool, refreshing Mike's hard lemonade. <laughs> You you ate triscuits and you t- you took the little grains of salt off the triscuits before you ate them. Yeah, actually, not a Mike's Hard Lemonade. I used I I I took it back. I drank a Zima because Mike's Hard Lemonade oh, was way really too uh, flavorful that's... for our worries. <laughs> All right, now you're getting into like even I think that's fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they actually. I, I mean, Zima was actually like that had to be like the most ironic branding shit because Zima was like shorthand for like dumb '90s like. That was a failure. Like that was a punchline on arrival. That was like when when um Coke came out with like a fruit like a fruit juice called Fruitopia as like oh we're rebranding as healthy, and then people are like you're Coke. Why are you doing anything? Yeah, and that's, right, that's right. way more unhealthy than your soda. <laughs> Isn't that typically how it goes though? Because they have to jack it up with a bunch of like high fructose shit, right? That's oh, the whole. Yeah. This was. There's a great gag on The Simpsons where um, there's like a, they do like a fake commercial and you don't see what's going on. You just hear like, you know, like noises of like, you know, hippies. It's like Fruitopia, the, su- the, stu- uh, the fruit juice made by hippies and marketed by a heartless crass man, like multinational corporation. <laughs> oh, my yeah, God. Like, I don't know why Zima had to come back. Like that was definitely somebody was like, oh, the kids are talking about this on the Twitters and the 4chans. And, uh, you know, we there's a real like demogra- cross demographic appeal to this. So we're going to bring it back like Szechuan sauce or I don't know, some like 50 year old who does not understand things being made fun of on the Internet brought that back. Because I remember being back like cases of it being at the beer distributor for like one week and then it was gone. 
Not, and I don't think it was because it was selling so well. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, I think on the uh, to finish, I guess just finish my thought in Euphoria because I am going to recommend it to you because I think it surprised me with how with the care that the show had for its characters, um, even the empathy that it has for some of the characters that are total pieces of shit, but there are arcs to each character that for the most, I think for the vast majority of the characters, the arcs are there where it's not just like, you know, uh, because there was the fear of, and I'm forgetting the word, but just because the whole thing is like, the a bad version of the show is like teenagers and sex and drugs and look at how look at society like you know it's that sort of like preachy yeah, shit think of the children after right. special or or, it, or it's like or it's something like kids it, you or know, it's just exploitative look at right, these kids right. being bad like right. yeah but i but i think it's not that i think there's a real and i think zendaya kills it and there's a real like level of empathy for her character and for uh, the character of Jules, who's, uh, you know, her, her friend in the show. And the, my favorite episode of the show, I think is, well, the episode's called shook ones part two, which is, you know, well, that, I mean, you already but, have me there. You already have, yeah. But my favorite episode of the show is that episode. And, and it opens with a scene in a mental hospital. And I'm just telling you right now that that scene, I had to pause. I had to pause the show. I had to pause the you show. Had to pull, like a Sam Cedar pause it moment. <laughs> yeah, I I had to pause the show. I I quite literally walked out of the room. This is this is a little hyperbole, but I genuinely walked out of the room because I was so I was so like engrossed, but also repulsed at this scene. That's like such a real thing. And then I went back and watched the episode. <laughs> and I just, I mean, yeah. So it's the fourth episode of the first season. It's a great episode. There's a absolutely bone chilling scene in the first five minutes that will make your skin crawl, but it's effective. Yeah. I will put it on the list right now. The list is either the next drama we're getting to. The problem is things have been so, I mean, I hate to be one of those people. Oh, I'm so busy lately. Well, don't, but I'm the same way. Apartment to a house because that will make you fucking way busier than you ever thought you had to be. But I haven't really had the emotional um, to borrow from a, from True Detective season two, one of the things that I will defend on this episode that I'm sure you're going to disagree with me on, but uh, that most people disagree with me on, by the way, I don't have the bandwidth to devote to. That's something Vince Vaughn's character says in one of his more laughable fucking deliveries yeah. <laughs> um, to devote to a drama. But my wife and I have been meaning to get to The Sopranos because she's never seen it. And mm. I really I've never watched it in full more than once. Like I watched it as it was on and I took small breaks but I saw it pretty much beginning to end as it aired. And I've never, neither of us have ever seen Deadwood. And I need to get to Deadwood, for sure. I, I have seen Deadwood. I haven't seen the movie. Um, yeah. Which, which allegedly is just a continuation of the third season. Uh, I, I don't know exactly. I'm pretty sure if my memory serves me correctly, that's what I heard about it when it came. But it came out like two years ago now. And I just have been forgetting just to, to, to get around to it. I probably I mean, by all the- accounts, Deadwood. Deadwood is one of the most well-written things ever. I saw bits and pieces of it because my mom was obsessed with the show. And mm-hmm. I mean, that was part of the reason I didn't get to it for so long is because my mom has pretty terrible taste in things. Like, right. we, one of the as we know. That, right, yes. One of the few, like she loved uh, fucking Everybody Loves Raymond, one of her favorite shows. There you go. It's a tough, tough look. It's a tough okay. look. She, she, Never was a good big, look. she was big into the, uh, that's what I call the, uh, the, 5 to 6 p.m. window on channel My9. If anyone has ever been in the New York area, 
uh, Channel My Nine was like uh, in between the like PBSs and then like the Fox, CBS, ABC. It would be that channel, and sometimes they would have baseball games on at like seven. So when I was younger, it would be like six thirty, and I'd go and like see if I could watch like the Met game on you know that channel. And it would either be like King of Queens or Everybody Loves Raymond be playing on that channel at that time. Well, and, they you put know, together like so. and Family Matters. They were just like sister shows. Yeah, and that channel. My that mom channel, loved King yeah. of Queens even more than fucking Raymond. Like the King of Queens wasn't King of Queens. It was the King. You want to watch the King? <laughs> Fuck no, I don't want to watch the King. Like, are you kidding me? Like, the only yeah. good thing about King of Queens was that Patton Oswalt got paid off of it. That was it. True. True. So. True. And and Jerry, Stiller, and Jerry Stiller. Jerry Stiller was actually true, right on that true. show. But rest in peace. But um. But yeah, I was actually going to say we can go through here the uh, wiki list of HBO dramas real quick and do maybe like a lightning round. Yeah, on them. I'm, I'm, I'm on it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Let me bring that back up. I'm doing this all from my phone from my empty apartment right now. I well, do you want to do the I guess the current stuff that we've seen? We've both seen Westworld. Uh, yeah. Oh, I've seen much less current than I have uh, prior. Overall. I, right. That's why I was going to knock out the current. Yeah, stuff. we can knock out current. OK, so as far as the current stuff, I've only seen Westworld and I. I'm looking at all these. Um, we covered West, these four already. Westworld uh, season two might be the most confusing ep- uh, season of television that exists. Um, yeah, you want to talk about confusing? The only yeah. episode of season two I saw was the finale. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's kind of like impressive in its audacity, but also you're just like, you don't have to be good to be, you don't have to be convoluted to be good. Uh, Kind or, of vice, or to take that point and kind of flip it a little bit, being convoluted doesn't make you good, right? Like, right, right. Cannabis yeah. isn't the best rapper of all time. That fucking uh, Ziggurat Association album or whatever that Wyatt loves is a bad album. It's not good <laughs> just because it doesn't make sense. Fucking, um, I got five episodes into the first season of Westworld, and all I really got out of it was Chris Nolan can't write dialogue, or this is fake ass bad Chris Nolan dialogue, and why would you want to emulate Chris Nolan dialogue? Ed Harris right. is a really, really good actor. Yeah. He's pretty. I'm getting nothing out of this. I got to stop. It's starting to get I really liked. I liked season one. Uh, season two kind of lost me in the sense that, well, for, to your point about Nolan, it's written by Nolan's brother. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it is kind of like, you know, 66% Chris Nolan, uh, if that makes sense. It really felt a lot like I was watching Inception or something during some of the dialogue scenes. And at first I chalked it up to, well, you know, so it's sci-fi. I don't have an ear for sci-fi dialogue slash sci-fi mm-hmm. dialogue. just doesn't work for me. Or just doesn't, in general, just feels this way and, like, you know, regardless. And then I was like, this is, like, a very specific type of dialogue that I don't like. Like, I could see an Aaron Sorkin. I could hear Aaron Sorkin dialogue. Or Aaron Sorkin, a dialogue that wants to sound like Sorkin, mm-hmm. like, right away. And then I eventually realized, oh, this is this is Chris Nolan. And it's not as infuriating as Interstellar or something, but it still has that just yeah. unmistakable ring where this is not how humans talk. I can't listen to prolonged dialogue like this, and I can never care about these characters. Ed Harris was good. That's a testament to how good Ed Harris is because I cared about his character. I cared about yeah, his Yeah, I, I, I did it. too. Yeah, his character, Ed Harris, was amazing in that show. Um, but yeah, apparently that the, there's a, there's a season either going on now or it just happened or I don't know. There was a third season that 
it has um, came out or, or something. Yeah. 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 It does. Um, and it's, I saw the trailer for it and it's like, it plays Pink Floyd and Aaron Paul is doing weird shit and looking confused. I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm not going to, yeah, watch it, it's apparently set. Paul. Like it's apparently set like all these years in the future. So, I mean, cause the thing about the seasons is they have nothing to do with each other. Um, right. Allegedly. So I might watch it just because if they have nothing to do with each other, then you can go in cold to a season. It doesn't matter. So I might watch it, but me saying I might watch it, it's probably like a five on a scale of one to ten in my priorities. Like maybe. It might even be like lower than that, you know. Well that's the thing about TV these days compared to TV how when I was growing up, back before you were even born, is that back then TV was something that was always around and if something was good it was on was it's a bonus. Now TV is something that you have so many more options on, or at least you could if you mm. afford like and there's always you can always seek out something good. It's not just like something that's persistently around and you don't have options and you can find and something good might wash up. Something being good is no longer a novelty. Right, right. And I think, well, I guess when it comes to speaking of something being good, I'm surprised you haven't seen Succession yet. I've heard a lot of good things. It's, it's a really it's a really good shot. It is. I mean, I don't know if it's like greatest thing ever hype, but like in terms of the, the show is quite funny. And I think you would get a lot out of it because I think well, it's people, also been when I've actually gotten the time to watch TV these days, I've been much more true. wanting to just watch comedies that we've already like that we're catching up on. Right. So, and I've just been like, honestly, my entertainment diet has been mostly books and podcasts like podcasts. Yeah, I've been, I've been mostly sports and music and podcasts. So yeah, well, music's a given, but I'm yeah, podcasts yeah. the sort of thing that I can actually listen, like, you know, listen to in the car or at work. So there are a lot, more of a flexible medium so it's easier to keep up with them in my everyday yeah. life but going through the li- yeah going through the list here i haven't seen any of the other dramas comedy wise um high maintenance being still listed as active is good because i didn't think that i thought that was that's probably a mistake because it hasn't been around for five years now and it doesn't seem like it's that much money to make that's a really good show it only had like a six episode mini season it's clearly tailored for me to like it's about a weed dealer and it's like yeah. every episode's like a fucking like he goes to sell somebody weed and this story of what happens. It's very low key, very dry, but very funny and insightful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't require too much of your time. I highly recommend seeking that out. No pun intended. If um, you have not yet Barry, I've heard a lot of good things about, but have not yet. Barry, Barry's good. Bill, Bill Hader, who I never disliked, um, but I always was like, yeah, he's cool. But like, I was never like a huge fan of him. Bill Hader is phenomenal in, in that show. Uh, so I definitely recommend Barry. It's, really funny it's also oh go ahead righteous gemstones i saw a little bit of it it's it's pretty good yeah it seems like it's way up my alley it's like john goodman danny mcbride the subject matter and everything i heard mixed things about it but i'll get to it eventually i guess the two big things to discuss here are curb which is their longest running show by some huge margin not counting the uh news stuff and um sports stuff and um insecure i think are the two that probably have yeah. to say about them i think i haven't you know what i, I haven't seen the the recent insecure season though so i'm neither have i yeah um, i actually got a little mad at insecure in season two and that i felt like the stories were very repetitive they were like hitting the same beats every episode and there was no progression like um so i kind of tuned out on it which got to another argument with my wife because she was super into the show and thought that i just didn't have patience for female-centric entertainment and it was like, right. no, it's just that the same, the story is just like a prolonged breakup, which I get that with Issa and Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
Molly's trouble at work, which, I mean, these are, the problem is when I explain it, it does sound like I have no patience for female entertainment because it's like, these are very female centric stories and they progress in a way that they do in real life. Like it doesn't happen in one episode, a breakup happening over a whole season is much more, or the fallout from a breakup, I should say, because the breakup happens at the end of season one. Sorry, I spoiled that. But, um, right. But on the other hand, it's an incredibly well-made show and it's, I'm, like there are stories that weren't being told elsewhere. I think Issa Rae is fucking hysterical. I think it's super well acted. I think the music choices, shout out to Raphael Sadiq, are super on point. Like, uh, yeah, they're really good. Um, Curb is, I, lo- I mean, I love Curb. I'm behind on Curb. I've not seen the last two seasons. I thought Curb started to fall off uh, around. I don't know, because, like, he started to make, like, the thing about it is, you can tell Larry David lives in, like, a weird bubble, which sometimes works for the show and sometimes doesn't, like, because he's so isolated from the world that you get brilliance out of it sometimes, and you did way more right when it was coming off of Seinfeld in the beginning. I feel like it was consistently pumping out brilliant shit after brilliant shit, but then, like, when the seasons became more inconsistent, I felt like he had less stories to tell. But there's still always brilliant stuff. Like, the count, like, the formula of Curb, when it works, is one of the best comic formulas out there. Yeah, I haven't seen Curb since it came back, but it was... I, I pretty much kind of agree with your your take, like, wholeheartedly. Uh, I think, like, the first, I don't know, like, eight seasons are just consistently great, and then it kind of trails off a little bit. The Shaq episode of Curb is one of the funniest things ever. <laughs> Gosh, foreshadowing Shaq's TV career. True. Yeah, I think that might have been the... Well, I mean, that wasn't the first time Shaq was on TV, obviously, because Shaq never been shit forever, like, from when he got a deal, period. Like, when he got an NBA deal. But that was, like, the first time he really showed, like, actor-comic timing. Like, because he didn't do his movies. (laughs) That's for sure. Oh, God. (laughs) Except for Blue Chips. Well, Blue Chips, um, you know... Blue, blue chips. chips blue chips deserves every rating on the spectrum of of RYM ratings. I remember I saw Blue Chips when it came out, and when I left the theater, I asked my older sister, uh, uh, "Do you think Shaq will get nominated for an Oscar for this?" And I really <laughs> meant that question. <laughs> I was eight, but I thought I Shaq did well in that movie. Man, he did not want to. He he thought the TV watching class was going to be just watching TV. He didn't think there were going to be tests. It's uh, it's it's a real. <laughs> Oh my god! I, well, I, I will say, uh, John Boys, uh, John Boys did something about uh, with this movie. Um, I forget what I think. I think he did a video on it. I let me see here. Yeah, he definitely did something about this the movie. Yeah, he did. Uh, he did a, a YouTube video. Just. Uh, I wonder uh, how Bobby Knight feels about blue chips. Because Blue Chips is pretty much fuck you, Bobby Knight, in a lot of ways. I mean, you know. Although it's like, it does, like, if you consider Nick Nolte's character to be Bobby Knight, though, it makes him out to be noble in a lot of ways. I, I love the one review on the page. Overall, good sports drama. Best part has to be Nick Nolte going down to New Orleans and seeing Shaq kill everyone on the court. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to upvote that review. That really gets to the heart of the matter. I, I, apparently, I hadn't rated blue chips, so now I just did. I gave, I gave it the the obligatory. Every, it deserves all the ratings. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could give it more than three stars, but I also 
probably could give it less. I'd, so I just, I, I usually. I mean, yeah, it really, it, it's, in some ways it's a five-star film. In other ways it is much less than a five-star film. Right. So you just have to, that's what, that's what I do a lot. A movie that I usually enjoy. And I'm like, eh, you know, it's like The Happening. Like The Happening is. Yeah, you know, I really feel like I need to revise my rating for The Happening because I gave it a point five star, but it's really not that. Because it probably deserves like a two and a half at least. Like, Do you think that Shyamalan was trying to be deliberately bad when he made The Happening? People, you, I hate, I hate the trying to be deliberately bad critique. Typically, um, I think I, that's revisionist history because yeah, also, it I, makes I, the movie worse if you think that way because I think that's a lazy way to make a movie. I agree. I think. I think that like there are there are arguments for the happening being really interesting I mean, but i don't the best, the best assessment you can make of the happening is that it's an interesting complete failure and the worst argument you can make for it is that he tried to make a campy horror movie if it's yeah. a campy horror movie it's boring if it's an interesting total failure from somebody who tries to make an edgy r movie with a message then it's at least interesting it doesn't affect it doesn't effective job of creating a sense of panic in the viewer i think but then- i disagree with that entirely I don't know. I think, I think there's no way that like he leans on the shot of fucking trees billowing like it's Hitchcock shooting the birds. That well, are no, but the, the, I mean, trees. right. I mean, initially, I'm talking yeah. about once you reach like a third of the way through the movie, you're like, oh, that's not what this is. But in the beginning, you're like, oh, this what is this? You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, uh, I'm like go back to Curb and give me the Larry David face right now. I don't know. And, I felt like well, I mean, like to me, to me, the movie. To me, the movie I rate it like an eh, Larry David face, but I, I, I kind of like I, I should I, maybe I'll watch it again. I don't know. I'm not a huge. I don't have a lot of patience for Shyamalan. Like in general, like I think no, no, I agree. I think I Unforgettable agree. is his is his best movie. I think it's a good movie. Unforgettable. Unbreakable. I said Unforgettable. But <laughs> Unforgettable, Unforgettable, same shit. Same shit. <laughs> Uh, fucking, um, I, yeah, I probably agree with that. I saw Sixth Sense in theaters and that was the, the classic Sixth, yeah, Sixth Sense story, which is that it was, it had a good ad campaign. No one expected it to do well. You, you saw it because you didn't go see the other trash that was out at the end of August in 1999. And you didn't know Bruce Willis was what he was in that movie. See, I already spoiled one thing in this episode. No one knows what Bruce Willis happened, what happened to Bruce Willis in the Sixth Sense. I'm not going to spoil that, but, um. Yeah, so I was fooled by that, and I thought it was really well-crafted. Although, again, I don't know why we're talking about my mother so much in this podcast, but she was like, well, I watched it again, and when you know what happens, it doesn't hold up. And the only time You're, saying, say you're, you're saying you agree with your mother a lot. The only time we'll ever fucking say this on this podcast, credit to my mother, she was 100% right. It's <laughs> a fucking gimmick. It doesn't hold up. Like, if you watch it with, like, it's, like, Pulp Fiction holds up, Less well, but it still holds up if you shoot it and see if you play it in sequence. Like it's still yeah. a good movie independently of it works better when it's done the way it's done. Like, yes, that's a gimmick, but it's not entirely reliant on its gimmick. The sixth right. sense, like, because I mean her actual assessment was this movie was boring until the end, then like you find out what happened and holy shit. And then she watched it again when it came on cable and she was like, Yeah, you know what happens, it's still boring, and then at the end you don't have the holy shit moment. I put it better than she ever could, by the way. But, uh, yeah, so it's like, yeah, 
compared to Pulp Fiction, whereas if you watch it in sequence, like, pretend you watch it in sequence before you've seen it out of sequence. It's still pretty good. And if you've seen it in sequence after you've seen it out of sequence, it gives it new context. Whereas seeing The Sixth Sense, knowing what the twist is at the end, doesn't really give it new context so much as it's just like, you know, oh, that's a clever thing. Oh, that's a clever thing. It's not half as entertaining as watching the beginning of Too Many Cooks, like, oh, that person's going to die, that person's going to die, that person's going to die. Like, right, the, right, the right. Too Many Cooks is really way better crafted than The Sixth Sense. Way better use of Mark Adams. Oh, I, yeah. The Sixth Sense, like, is a fine movie, but that's really, that's where it ends for me. Well, yeah, it's fine. And that's yeah, kind and then of... after that, so Unbreakable was unforgettable, whatever you want to call it. Unforgettable. Really <laughs> uh, I mean, like, in terms of, like, Bruce Willis felt like trying. Sam Jackson, when he actually has a role he wants to really give his all, does. And, like, I feel like he's somebody who, when he finds, like, a director he likes working with, like, clearly Tarantino is one of his favorites. I think that Shyamalan was somebody he liked working with, at least on that project, and he clearly came back, like liked him enough to come back to it later. Like he got into that character. It shot. It's the sound design on that's really good. Like in terms of using quiet, like I think that movie uses quiet really well and bursts mm. burst of noise really well. So I think it's aesthetically really well done. Signs, I like. Like Signs, I was really excited to see in theaters, and I liked it until the twist. The twist actively ruined it for me, if you want to consider that a twist. Yeah. That was some weak shit. Yeah. Um, and then also, if you think about it in terms of like, okay, Mel Gibson shoehorned a lot of Catholicism into this fucking movie. Like, which, fuck I off. mean, who couldn't see that coming, right? <laughs> Fair enough. But this was pre passion. Like, I mean, I knew about Mel Gibson's crazy Catholic shit pre passion because I went to a cult school and mm. they were into the, like, the passion was like 10 years in the making. So I got to hear all the updates about it. So I knew that he was into that. But, I mean, I can imagine that it wasn't, like, it really wasn't public knowledge until the passion started rolling out. Like, so, Signs was 2003, Passion was spring 2004. So, I guess this would kind of be, like, so, but, I mean, in hindsight, yes, this is the least surprising thing ever, that he made, like, a redemptive priest story. It's supposed to be a horror movie, but it Trojan horses in, like, a priest finds, like, you know, that, hey, it's cool to have faith. Like, fuck out of here. And it's, like, got a bunch of cute kids crap in it. I don't know, the first... Like I'd say that's a movie that actually does a good job building tension in the beginning. So, yeah, signs, yeah. Yeah. I agree with but, that. I I haven't seen it in forever, but I I remember pretty much having the exact same opinion, opinion as you. Like this fucking twist. Fuck out of here. And then the village was an even bigger oh, fuck out of here. Fuck the village. Yo, <laughs> fuck the fucking village, dude. That's where I got all four. That's where I got yeah. all four. Like that yeah. was so infuriating. That's the that's like, okay. Fucking twist. Like that was the worst twist. <sighs> That movie yeah. was such a painful waste. That movie made me mad. There have been very few movies that have made me angry when I like because I paid money to see that shit. Because that's a great trailer. Great trailer. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Um, fun fact: my fucking um, my friend, who he's actually like five foot nothing, and if you remember, there's a scene in the village where there's a kid who like stands on like early on who stands on this like little tree stump and he like puts his arm out like ooh I can touch the I can touch the creepy woods but then he like pulls away. My friend was actually, he screen, he was originally cast in that scene, but they wouldn't let him off school enough days to, because Shyamalan shot, shoots his shit all around the PA area. Like, Sixth Sense was all shot in Philly and stuff. So, he actually was in that movie for, like, he got, like, a day's, day's work out of that. Paid very well, so the catering was really good. He's embarrassed to tell that story now because the village is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Because he well, that's... that story all the time when it was coming out. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, this movie's coming out. You saw the trailer for it. I, I was that kid. Like, there's a scene. Watch for the kid. 
after the movie came out, he didn't tell the story anymore. Yeah, I would, uh, I would avoid doing that as well. So, yeah, that's where I got off with him on a Ford. It's a what a what a bad movie. I I, uh, I remember approximately nothing from Glass. I watched Glass last year. I, I don't remember any. I I don't remember anything from it. Yeah, so. I have nothing more to say about uh, Shyamalan. Um, well, M Night Action. I will say After Earth is a hilariously terrible movie. Uh, that's and yeah. I, I know people have very strong, fully formed negative opinions about what he did to Avatar. I very, very bad. Ve- like, like, like worst of the worst kind of kind of bad. Uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty bad. Everything I've heard about it makes it sound atrocious. I have no familiarity with the source material, and I have no desire to sit through it. I'll just trust the. The source material. The, the source material is uh, is. I mean, I guess it depends on what you like, but I think it's worth your time. I think the source material is is. I've had more than one person whose opinion I trust tell me that uh, it's one of those things. It's like when you said a five to ten to a, whether I'll get to it eventually. Same right, thing. Exactly. Um, but yeah, going through the HBO list real quick here, since of stuff we've both seen. Um, fuck Bill Maher forever. True. Why are you True. still on the air? Why are you still on the? Why are you still here? Like, they really, they really let, first of all, the Bill Maher shit, and I know, look, I genuinely, I, I personally, for a cable show, think the John Oliver show is pretty good. I mean, it's not, yeah, like, I think that, it's okay, still, like, it's still too lib, but he's gotten better over the years. He had a really good episode on the police this summer that was actually like, fuck these guys, like, fuck this is like, it was, it was, you could feel the, actual like anger and like in his voice he had like a little monologue at the end that was basically just like fuck policing in america so so it it had like a john stewart feel which is like you know obviously nothing on hbo was going to be like leftist but it was like i think his show has gotten better over the years of like turning away from like just being rah-rah democrats into being like actually kind of sucks I feel like, real quick on John Oliver, I loved it when it first came out, but I think I was still in that mindset of, well, what's on television should just, like, I still enjoyed the whole Daily Show, just mock the media as opposed to mock the media slash mock the right without actually bigging up the left, without actually putting out a leftist perspective. Right. Which, um, so I was still in that mindset, and then I started getting really into Majority Report, and then I'd like watch. I'd listen to Majority Report for a week, and then I'd hear I'd watch John Oliver at the end of the week, and he'd do his big segment, and he'd do a twenty minute thing that was basically covering what Majority Report covered so much better over the course of the week in a way that was like watered down, and that turned me off of John Oliver. Mm-hmm. I thought his show was still well crafted in terms of jokes and stuff, like it was better than the Daily Show ever was in terms of like structure, and yeah, but. But then, like, yeah, I feel like sometimes he gets it really right with the leftist perspective. Other times he still is kind of in that Stuart Colbert space. I've really yeah. seen John Stewart and Colbert as well. I feel like Colbert was a brilliant satirical character for the time that has, as we've learned. Oh, more Colbert has, has sucked since Trump. I mean, just yeah. absolute garbage. Yeah, right. Like, I, I think it's more of like it became obvious that Colbert was crafting a character for a specific moment and Colbert, the person, did not really... Like, he's a devout Catholic. He really just wanted to have, like, a Tonight Show that was just, like, a polite talk show. Like, that was the end game for him, and he got it. And it's like, oh, you're not, like, the incisive satirist yeah. leftist we thought you were. Like, and John really Stewart. Like, making fun of dumb, dumb, right-wing talk show hosts, <laughs> which is kind of a sitting, dung, sitting, dung, sitting duck target. 
And John Stewart, since he left the air, has not been the same, like at all. Well, you know, uh, on the air, if you go back to it, like, like I kind of go back to like Dave Anthony's critique of John Stewart, where it's like it was always, you know, easy sport with right wing talking heads. He was still like cordial enough with O'Reilly to give him like equal time. Like you should never be cordial with these fucking monsters. No, he never was really presenting a left perspective. And like Stewart spent plenty of time punching left. Like he, you know. Yeah, I've lost a lot of respect for John Stewart. No, that's fair. I haven't. I guess he say like, there was a writer's strike. He was apparently not. He was anti-union during the writer's strike. He employed scabs. He's John Stewart's not a leftist, so no. it's sad to say. Um, so I think Oliver's better than both of them. I yeah, I think so too. I've actually been like I said, I, I watched some of his episodes this summer. So and the show is really, regardless of viewpoint or angle or whatever, the show is really well researched and like. Yes for the most part and, and put together, you know what I mean? So like, I think in the past, his best episodes were like ones where he breaks down a topic that could be didactic and he makes it palatable and it has nothing to do with politics of any kind for, for the most part. Yeah. Like, I mean, and well, now I, political, I, but I think a good one was like, um, when he was, it was an earlier episode where he was going on about payday loans and, right, uh, right. bail bonds, like those sort of topics where like topics, that weren't necessarily in the news cycle, but they're appalling fucking pol- like appalling systems. And he was breaking them down in a way that still had jokes and was still well structured, but he was breaking them down into like bite-sized chunks. And you don't have to think of it from a leftist or rightist or whatever perspective. You can just think of it from an informational perspective. Right. And he's always been good at that. Like, he, and I feel like he even like, there's some, uh, even someone like my dad who is, you know, a, uh, centrist moderate whatever like you know uh like really liked his show and i liked the show so it was just something that like you didn't need to like win set if you heard like a you know dumb talking point or whatever like he's uh like i said i think the with the recent stuff like this year like he's been he had a lot of good stuff like on the pandemic and like he had a lot of like you know he had uh he had some good stuff like i said about just the in the wake of all the fucking you know police murders uh as as they as they do uh he had some some good there was a good episode about like why policing in this country is dumb as fuck and he even he even did the uh he even like uh defended like the police which i did not expect him to defend so he like defended the the defunding the police, yeah. Which I did not expect that to happen at all. I expected him to be like, "Well, you know," eh, but he was like, "Well, actually, if you defund the police, you know." I mean, think about where he's coming from, though. He's coming from a UK perspective, where there's a lot less. I mean, yeah, the UK is an authoritarian society, but in terms of policing, it's a lot less militarized as it is. I mean, not so much now, but when right. you grew up. Like, there's a lot less money in it. So, yeah, like, I can totally see why he would be 100% on board with that. Yeah, and also, I mean, he he was showing clips from, like, Columbia, South Carolina, which has University of South Carolina in that town. Um, There was, like, some small protests from the students that were there over the summer and, like, some of the local people, right? And they were out here rolling tanks down Main Street of the town. (laughs) It's like, what are you doing? Like, oh, God, it's so... Ugh. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, 
But so John. So, no, so yeah, John John Oliver ended up in the long run being much better than a lot of other late night uh, shows. That's like the only like late night program I still kind of pay attention to. You know, not that I ever I cared about the other one. Picking his spots, I feel like he's good at yeah. picking what he chooses to discuss. Whereas I think Bill Maher is a fucking parasite, and I just don't. God. I mean, I do understand what his audience is, though. His audience is fucking boomers who want to still appear like they're revolutionary because they like smoke a joint twice a year and they don't think gay people should be stoned to death. Like, <laughs> but 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 also. Uh have no problem saying uh, the N-word in the car. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, they'll say it when they talk about, like, you know, not all black people, but, you know, <laughs> they hear a rap right. song on the radio, and they, they, they think about that Chris Rock bit they really like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, They're like, you know, of course, this, but, yeah. this, uh, this Killer Mike song slaps, even though I don't agree with anything he said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I think Bill Maher for a long time was the epitome of he replaced Mike he, he and Michael Moore and way more Moore than Moore because Moore actually holds some socialist beliefs and more my problem with Moore is more that I think and that's really hard to this say. This is a lot of, that's a lot of more going on. Yeah, it is. Did you, did you want wait, more? I don't want to say more more. But uh, my problem with Moore was more in that he is pushing his own gimmick and character ahead of his message. My problem with Moore is that oftentimes his, when he says something that I agree with is mingling with something that I don't like the things that I agree with he's using the Trojan horse bullshit just status quo or soft right or worse like he's always been Islamophobic like and this whole butthurt comedian oh PC police cancel culture come out come at me bro mindset he's been about that forever like don't touch my freeze peach like that's Bill Maher like I'm sure that he would have Louis. Um, he probably has had Louis C.K. on his fucking panel. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. He doesn't see what was so bad about that. Like, yeah, like, and but so what? He's pro like weed legalization. So what? He's pro gay marriage. Like, these are things that are common fucking sense positions. Dude, e- yeah, everyone is fucking pro. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, we can't celebrate people. Like. Dude, fucking legalizing uh, weed, that, that was like a, a talking point 15, 20 years ago. Like, who the fuck cares anymore? Right. You are for gay marriage. Congratulations. You yeah. basic human, like, decency. Right. Like, big, big. And we, we, we don't even know if we want to stretch it that far. <laughs> right, yeah. You're pro-gay marriage, but you're anti, like, you're anti-Muslim's right to live in your neighborhood. Right. Like, Bill Maher would... Snitch at like you know he might not snitch you out for smoking weed in your apartment complex, but that neighbor next to you that's is that's Muslim that smokes weed, he might snitch him out. He probably would. When are we uh, getting the uh, the Bill Maher episode with six nine on it? <laughs> can you imagine? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I can definitely see. Uh, fucking, um, he could go back. He could have musical guests like um, Chappelle did back in the day, and Six Nine could do like uh, Fifi over like a, a backing <laughs> track. Six Nine doing the uh, that that new song with Nicki Minaj that went number one. Air, air, emphasis on the air quotes on number one, and then went triple cardboard right after that. Like Shout the next Astro Turf thing. Like, like, how many views on YouTube did we have to purchase to get that song to number one? That's my question. Because that shit... That song is so bad that it makes me agree with J. Cole's shitty verse on a lot. 
It says a lot about a lot. It says a lot about <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm titling this episode The Problem with More versus More. <laughs> it says a lot about a lot that it's such a good song that, like, the J. Cole verse has really grown on me over the years. Yeah. Which yeah, I know. I, it's like I start off listening to it, I'm like, it's not as bad as I remember, but then it just goes on and on and yes. on and on. But the, on. the, is, the verse. It's like, fine, but there's a couple that year where he was like, every verse that I spit is Capadonna on Winter Wars level, and I get to go as long as I want. No, motherfucker, you don't. Like, Eminem still has this problem. Like, motherfucker, 16 bars. Right. 16. Uh, you cannot be like Andre on 16. Sometimes 16, 16 isn't enough. 16 isn't enough. Like, like just, just relax. Like, just, just chill. J. Cole, J. Cole in like 2018, like that whole era, 2018, early 19, like right after KOD came out in 18, J. Cole, that's exactly what he was doing. He was like, I'm going to renegade every verse. It's like, no. Yeah, he thought he was on like some 2010 Kanye, like uh, Rick Ross type shit. And right. it was, it was like, people agreed with him. Like, I remember his stands were all over that. Shit. Oh, my God. The Twitter Twitter was ablaze with the J. Cole dropping fire features. Oh, my God. Even people that didn't like him were were on the J. Cole's features that year have been so good. Like, Dead and Hip Hop always flames Cole, but they were, they loved his features on, on like, the JIT album and all that stuff. So Oh, that, that's off D's, which is like, oh, off God, D, yeah. get, get off my stereo. Get off D's fucking speakers, yeah. motherfucker. Ugh. You didn't. You resisted the D's notes joke. I'm. I'm proud of you. <laughs> uh, that took a lot of restraint. <laughs> I actually. I. I, I really. I, I don't mind that song at all. But I know. Uh, yeah. uh, so um, just as a, like, I don't know why I'm bothering to take this back to a topic, but I just realized because I was going back to the wiki page on my computer, on my computer, on my hand computer, my phone, uh, that in treatment is coming back of all the shows to bring back in treatment. I I did not see it in its original run. Yeah, it's a no. Nah, it was on for two years and it aired like every day a week. It was a weird concept. Like I saw it sometimes because I had this habit of leaving the TV on and getting stoned and falling asleep, which mostly meant that I would have Adult Swim on and then I'd wake up when fucking Inuyasha would come on and there'd be like a lot of anime yelling and then I remember to turn my TV off. But if I was watching HBO, eventually In Treatment would come on because it would air every day and they'd re-air it at like three in the morning. And it was a weird concept for a show. Like, I appreciate the balls of it. It's just a weird thing to bring back too, but it might be the right time to do it because I feel like everyone's in therapy now because they had nothing better to do during quarantine. <laughs> uh, and honestly, the amount of people that, have, that I have found that are now in therapy as opposed to pre-pandemic is really wild. I mean, I guess the pandemic ravaging your country and killing people, yeah. you know, will probably drive you to therapy, especially right. if you lost your job. But um, plus but the, yeah, like, uh, this this election cycle uh, just being an absolute hellscape. Right. Ugh. Which we all knew it was going to be. And it just poured gasoline. Like everyone knew the election was going to be a hellscape. No one really could have predicted the pandemic. I mean, apparently. Right. And then you and then you they certainly didn't prepare for it. But Unless you, uh, and then you, you put those two things together, and it was just like Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, what are we? I mean, I cannot tell you the amount of brain worms that I've just gotten from 
just being on the internet this year? I've managed to limit my internet presence to mostly the Discord and RYM. So, and even then, I still get like brainworms by proxy whenever stuff leaks from the Discord. Like yeah. Ryan will post some horrible thing that somebody said on Twitter. Then it's or my what my both my wife and this guy at work like to tell me about things that fucking happen. Like they both like read the news to me, and they both have a CNN as their main fucking news source. I'm like, stop it, stop with like, stop reading CNN. And then you can say that to some people, and they're like, oh, so I guess you'd rather I read Fox News? No, I'd rather you read none of it. Fucking, yeah. Like, yeah. There's there's places to get news that aren't the quote unquote big four, like is it for CNN, Fox News, MSNBC? Yeah. I think it's I think it's three. I don't think yeah, C-SPAN counts as your yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I guess uh, AP doesn't count. I mean, like AP Reuters doesn't really count. Yeah. I mean, I get all my news from uh, One America. Actually, right. I think they're a pretty good source. You're going to be like that uh, that Oklahoma State football coach who wore the shirt, and then his players are like, yo, fuck this guy. What the <laughs> hell? <laughs> I didn't even know that happened. Yeah, uh, Mike Gundy, longtime head coach of Oklahoma State, wore an OAN uh, uh, <laughs> T-shirt, T-shirt over the summer, and his, his star running back was like, I'm going to quit the team. <laughs> Oh, God. Well, I shouldn't say this shit because we're still trying to get that Gorka cameo, and he's probably on OAN, so I shouldn't I shouldn't try and inquire the deal. But, uh, so yeah, we said about 45 minutes ago we were going to lightning round the dramas on the HBO list from former. So, um, all right, Big Little Lies. Good, good show. Uh, d- didn't really need a second season, but Meryl Streep, who I famously am not, like, really a huge fan of, is really good in the second season. I only saw the first season, which I thought was outstanding. Yeah. I'm not a fan of Reese Witherspoon. The show made me a fan of Reese Witherspoon and made me realize that she just picked shit material between election and the show. Uh, Walk lines debatable. I'm not a fan of biopics, so necessarily. And uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story forever ruined Walk the Line for me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But, uh, she actually does a great job in that movie in terms of, I think she sings her own songs. So that's actually pretty impressive if that was her singing voice. But um, Election's an amazing like villain performance, and she's super compelling in Big Little Lies. Everyone is. Nicole Kidman's outstanding in this role. It's really well shot. I did not see the second season. I heard that David E. Kelly had fucking issues with a woman, which is the least surprising thing ever. And yep. um, so the second season's kind of a mess, but... I mean, the trailer looked good. I'm sure, like, I've heard good things about Meryl Streep. Um, Again, Meryl Streep is somebody that, like, it really depends on the role for me. And she's so, again, like, I do not like what she did with Thatcher. That, I do not like what she did for Thatcher. Oh, God, that's not a good movie. (laughs) No. No. Uh, Worse, uh, Hearst, Thatcher, or DiCaprio is Hoover? Um, DiCaprio is Hoover is funnier. That is true. At There's a lot least. of unintentional um, funny As we've, we, we, we talked about we talked about this in an episode from like three years ago, but we, we the high school level of makeup and costume and oh, all yeah. that. Oh, yeah, because Eastwood is such a professional. I think I, this is the point I made in the last episode when we talked about this forever ago that none of you will ever hear, is, um, yeah, like Eastwood's such a good director, but that movie, well, I, I don't think I'd seen it at that point, actually. I was like, oh, it's that bad. I have seen some of it since, and it's that bad. It's amateur yeah. level like what the fuck was going on yeah. with a lot of that and once it's, again uh, Leonardo DiCaprio really does a dumb accent for no fucking reason 
earn dumb inflection. Like, I don't know why he insists on this. He started it with Gangs in New York. Well, actually, he kind of even does it in Titanic. Maybe it started with Gilbert Grape. Like, he just started this dumb voice thing that he just couldn't lose. He's like, well, Brando did dumb voices. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I think some of the dumb voices, though, you don't think that that was put on by, like, the director, maybe? I mean, Gilbert Grape is, like, you know, obviously. That was, yeah. like, you know. But Titanic... Do you think James Cameron cared about any characters in that movie? Do you think he realized no. there were characters in that movie? No. Uh, James Cameron was like, I'm going to make the big... All right. Dude, you're not... On, you're not on a, James it, Cameron's pitch for that was like, boat. Boat sink. Boat big. <laughs> it's, a real, it's a real shame because James Cameron, up until that point, was quite good at his, uh, at his job. I mean, this is yeah, a guy that... This it, is like, a guy that made... Like a nuts and bolts technical guy. Like, if you think about, like, The Abyss and Aliens, yeah. like... Definitely what interested him was water and things that floated in water <laughs> and photographing them a lot. I mean, but, you know, even, like, the Terminator movies, like, the Terminator movies are, like, is that the biggest, like, pop culture thing that was, like, hey, cops suck? Good point, dude. Yeah, Terminator 2 is a cab as fuck. Um, yeah. And consider that it had, like, super Republican lead Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. <laughs> Yeah, I read a. I actually read a, an article um, way earlier in the year. Might have been last year. I think it was earlier this year. Just about Terminator Two and like how it's like politics actually are. If you like look at it for longer than a few seconds. I mean, there's actually one of the most probably the scene that stuck with me the most from Terminator Two when I saw it as a really young kid, probably too young to have watched it because it actually is hyper violent. Is the most violent scene from it, I think. When the mother is drinking the, or when someone's drinking a carton of milk, and it turns into a knife that slices them in the throat because it's actually yeah. because the T one thousand, and that always stuck with me. But that's like kind of like a cop, like if you think of it purely on an aesthetic, visceral level, it's like this cop motherfucker, like in suburbia, just killing you to your face, and like taking this like picturesque suburban thing. What's more picturesque suburban than like a fucking carton of milk, right? And, yeah, it's got a lot of like striking imagery like that. It's it's a good ass movie, dude. Like, no, I, I, I love it. I love up to it. Like, if you read my review, I talk about how I don't give it five because I think that it led to a lot of bad shit, which I don't think is really a fair assessment of why not to give something five stars. Maybe I should give it five because that's holding something against the film that's not the film's fault. Yeah, I have it. I have. I agree with you one hundred percent about all that. And yeah, I have it at four and a half. I think it it's a, an awesome fucking movie. Yeah, I love. I think it's. Going back and watching, because I mean, you know me just for over the years knowing me, like I'm a big into like, hey, if you can like scratch this like uh, action cyberpunk itch, like I'll probably like it, you know? So th this being like kind of ta tailor made for me in a sense, but I remember, you know, loved it in high school. Kind of when I went throughout college, like, damn, this probably doesn't hold up as well. Let me knock it down like a half star. And then I rewatched it like at the beginning of the year, I think, just like with my younger brother because he hadn't seen it. And I was like, no, this movie still rules. I'm going to, we're going to go back to up to four and a half. So that's kind of, it's like my arc with the movie. So, yeah, yeah James I saw it as a very early, like, right, right when it came out on VHS. I think it was a two VHS, actually, because it's really long. Might have been the director's cut. And it just, like, I loved pretty much everything about it. And I watched it again and again, and I watched it again when I was in like high school, college age. And I was just like, it works on a visceral level. And I think I knocked it back down a little bit 
afterwards where I'm like, well, you know, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. And my main thing that made me think less of it, and this is the most nerd, like kind of podcast full of where I say nerdy shit about nerdy shit. Uh, right. Uh, fucking, there was a David Foster Wallace essay about movies around this time period about how the CGI in that movie and everything kind of led to. He doesn't say Michael Bay in the essay, but it, he, I think he wrote it in '96, so Michael Bay was just coming in. Like The Rock had probably either just come out or not come out yet. Mm-hmm. And what he's basically saying is that this CGI, this idea of like you know the most expensive thing ever, because one part of it was I think it was the most expensive movie ever made until Titanic was that it brought in, like, this arms race sort of mentality to movies. Like, T2 led to Jurassic Park, which is what he mentions in the essay. And it's just about having bigger and better in your movies and having the spectacle be the point. But I don't think the spectacle is the point with T2. No, yeah. A little bit more. Like, I think Jurassic Park is, like, literally the park is a spectacle. Like, it's supposed to be a ride. Mm -hmm. Like, so, and Jurassic Park holds up less well to me. It's still a good movie, although I have less time for Spielberg. Than a lot of people, so sorry, Matt Bellazima. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I'm think sure listens to this podcast. <laughs> you are, yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, He's not on the spreadsheet. He can still listen to it. I don't <laughs> think that he can. We haven't said anything about Sinatra yet. Oh uh, yeah, he can't listen to it. He can't listen. Sorry, sorry Sinatra fans can't listen to it. Sorry, Matt. He can't listen to the podcast. I would. Uh, it's <laughs> interesting. The T two take is interesting because I, I would attribute. Bay more to quite literally one of his own like Bad Boys, one of his own movies, where a movie that I, I still quite like, but there's a there and, and I'm not I have like an interesting like I'm not like a Bay hater or anything. So I mean I think some of his movies are terrible, but I'm not like a Bay hater. Uh if you take out the Transformers, I have like a pretty I have a decent opinion of his filmography actually. But uh, I mean I didn't see the Benghazi one, but all No, I'm sure that one probably wasn't great. But I, but I like, like I said, I like Bad Boys. Bad Boys 2 is just everything on a movie screen. I don't really know. Bad Boys 2 is like, that's the definition of your, I wish I could give this all the ratings. Yeah, uh, seriously. It's kind of like one of the most repulsive and also one of the most fun movies I've ever seen. I mean, Bad Boys 2 is, like you said, Terminator 2 is surprisingly anti-cop. Bad yeah. Boys 2 is surprisingly pro-cop. Pro-cop, yeah. Bad Boys 2 is quite racist. But <laughs> yeah, for a movie with two black leads, it's yeah. incredibly fucking racist. Very racist. Um, Bad Boys 2 makes Rush Hour look like a Miri Baraka doc- directed documentary. Bad Boys 2 makes Rush Hour look like the autobiography of Malcolm X. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, I don't know. Like, Bad Boys 1, like, I think there, the, the, like, the, the famous scene where Will Smith is, like, you know, running and he, and he, uh, he run, he's running away from the, is he running and he gets in the car? It's that chase scene. Um, right. Well, I think Bad Boys is actually prior to like I don't think Bad Boys is the CGI overkill I'm talking about. Neither really is The Rock. Like I don't think that Bay becomes like a thing to Armageddon. I was gonna say Pearl Harbor, but yeah, that's fair. Well, now Armageddon is like Armageddon's three nearly three hours long. Armageddon yeah. has some of the like it doesn't hold up for like the fact that it has a criteria is fucking hilarious. I love that. I want to. I, I I do love that. I do love that. Um, there are but, there are there are moments. Have you seen the? I know you probably ha- you probably haven't. I've only seen bits and pieces of it. The director's commentary and like the actor's commentary for Armageddon is so funny. I don't know if you've ever like I even seen it on um, YouTube. I imagine that uh, Bruce Willis is probably hungover. I really hope they got Billy Bob Thornton like coked up as fuck for it. And I, I watched a uh, laugh like a moron. 
I watched a video essay on like just uh, just about like I was watching uh, uh, there's a video uh essayist on YouTube that I really like Patrick Williams um he's really good really funny but he likes uh you know he has like a, he kind of has similar takes on Michael Bay than I do like he's like he's a pretty good filmmaker Transformers movies blow like blah 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 um and I do want to see Pain and Game by the way that's one I that's a good see. movie I actually I saw that I saw that over the summer I rewatched it it's a good movie pretty good it's like I know I know. <laughs> The common take is like, yeah, it's like Coen Brothers movie, but like you know, with a lobotomy, and that's kind of what it is. But it's it's a pretty fun movie. I mean, a Coen Brothers movie with a lobotomy is uh, intolerable cruelty. Okay, well, it's better than intolerable cruelty. Low it's bar. a little better. Well, low bar, true. Well, you don't think actually? Uh, you fucking... know what? Lady Killers is worse than intolerable. Yeah, Lady Killers is definitely worse. I was about to bring that up. Lady Killers, I saw it once, and I was like, I'm never watching this again. This movie's fucking Killers, again, like, would be more tolerable if Tom Hanks didn't do the dumb fucking voice. God, what a dumbass movie. Why? Why did they do that, dude? Like, that was so... That was so misguided on so many levels. So many levels. Did you ever see, uh... Um, Buster Scruggs? No, not yet. The most recent Cohen I think, I've seen is, uh, Llewellyn... Is it Llewellyn Davis, or what... What was after, uh, what was after Llewellyn Davis? Uh, Hail Caesar, right? I I saw that. I liked that more than most. What was after that? I think it was yeah. Scruggs was after that. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen Scruggs. I have not yeah. seen Scruggs. Yeah. No, Hail um, Caesar was like we pretty good. We could do a Cohen's episode at some point, too, by the way, if we ever did a film episode. Oh, hell, hell yeah. Yeah. I, Cohen's, are, Cohen's are some of the best I ever. I probably have a... I, I don't know if it's possible to have like a canon Cohen or like a boring Cohen's take. Because I mean, Fargo is one of my favorites. Lebowski is one of my favorites. I think that's pretty boring. Yeah. I think I my my outside the box Cohen's take would be uh, "Man Who Wasn't There" is top five, maybe top three. Interesting, interesting. I have to look at my. Uh, well, I know that like my favorite. Um, Sadly, we're going alphabetically on the wiki list. Otherwise, that would dovetail perfectly into a Sopranos discussion. Perfectly. We you want to do we can do Sopranos now if you want. I was just you gonna know what? Say, let's do Sopranos now. I was gonna say Llewellyn Davis probably makes my top five, but that's Llewellyn Davis is outstanding. Yeah. Um, the only thing I don't like about Llewellyn Davis is at the very end they do the joke about him playing like opening for Bob Dylan, and it's like, like oh that's the joke. That's okay. The joke there it is. Like, I rewatched the uh, spell out the joke like that. That's what it got. That was like oh. So I mean, like I don't want to say the Coens are normally subtle because some of their best movies aren't subtle. Like Burn After Reading is the opposite of subtle, and I love that movie. Love that movie. Uh, oh, I was gonna say that um, I rewatched Miller's Crossing and Blood Simple this summer, and they both are still really good, really good. I haven't seen those in forever. I need to rewatch those because um, yeah, Coens are. That's part of the reason Man Who Wasn't There is so good is because like you can tell they have such an appreciation for noir. They know the timing. They know the beats. They know the palette. They know all of it. And Man Who Wasn't There is very much like a stated as a genre piece. Like they do it in black and white. They do it like mm-hmm. very, very stylized. Like, and I think it gets a short shrift for the same reason that True Grit gets short shrift, where it's like the Coens are like, we're doing a genre piece now. And it's like, okay, so we're kind of viewing this in a glass case. Whereas I think you kind of have to view it like, what if this came out? Like, what if Man Who Wasn't There came out in 1946? What if True Grit came out in, like, the 30s or, like, the right. 50s and, like, a, you know, deconstructionist Western alongside The Searchers or something? Like, that's how I think you have to view those films. Not as, like, they're coming out at the time they're coming out. 
Because at that, no, at that point, absolutely. you're just like, oh, this is, incong- this is incongruous from what I'm used to. And you're also kind of like, in doing that, disqualifying like all these other movies that you might like. Like, that's, you know... That's yeah, kind of like I don't think they're doing any winky sort of like they don't do any sort of winky incongruities in the movies themselves. They're not trying to position these as like a view this from a fresh eye, a modern perspective. Like I'm trying to think of like, I don't know, first thing that came to mind, and this is probably not a one-to-one, is uh like I'm gonna get you sucker, Keenan Ivory Rain Keenan Ivory Rains, Keenan Ivory Wayne's uh black exploitation movie, where it's like they made this in 1995 or whatever. This is like clearly like a black exploitation movie for people who've seen all of them and know the beats. Whereas like True Grit or Man Who Wasn't There, they're like movies that are made for people who are watching them at the time. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah, I can view them. No, I can see that for sure. So, so yeah, that's why I feel like they get because I I saw True Grit in theaters and I fucking loved it. No one really feels as strongly about that in the Cohen's cap. Like, that might be my hot Cohen's take because that's definitely top. Like that man who wasn't there, I'd probably put under Fargo, uh, No Country, and Big Lebowski. That's my top five. With Burn After Reading, maybe at number six, which I also also probably a hot take because people are kind of not. They think it's lighter, which it is, but it's fucking hysterical beginning to end. Malkovich is amazing in that. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah, we need to do a Cohen's episode. Clearly, I have a lot of Cohen's opinions. No, no, these these are good opinions. I like these takes. These are good takes. <laughs> a lot, yeah, a lot of Cohen's opinions. Um, but all, but for good reason. Right, and yeah, I like grew up on raising Arizona, so that's probably why I'm so gravitating towards their work. Um, like that was on Comedy Central all the time when I was a kid. Like it would just play in the background while I was doing other stuff. So I probably just absorbed Cohen stuff by osmosis. Yeah, I think that's... they have a distinct rhythm to their comedy and their movies. Even when they're doing genre stuff, their rhythm still kind of asserts itself a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I think with, with them, like, to your point about the rhythm, if you kind of fall in line with that rhythm, like, you're with it. You know what I mean? Like, as soon as you kind of... If you're, like, if you catch on to it and you're into it, then you're you're going to like a lot of their stuff. Because that's just like their humor and their like, right? And there's how like they, how they know, direct. Even in like Man Who Wasn't There, like it's a super dry like noir movie, but there's also humor because like the Tony Shalhoub character is like the sleazy lawyer, and his scenes are hilarious. Right, right. Um, so we were we've gotten one into the HBO list. We can do we got one to HBO. List. I mean, some of the other ones like. I mean, I haven't seen... I've seen, like, episodes of Big Love. I don't yeah, care. Yeah, it's breeze through some of these. Yeah, Big yeah. Love is... Um, it didn't do much for me, so I didn't really get into it. Boardwalk Empire, I gave one and a half seasons. I love the pilot. The Scorsese-directed pilot's great. I think Buscemi's great as the lead character. Uh, its pacing was too slow for me, and it felt... Um, oh, and um, whoever does... Uh, Dabney Coleman as the, as the fucking Fed. He's really good, too. But... Beyond that, it never engaged me. Yeah, I kind of, I, I feel the same, pretty much the same way. Like, I, I really didn't even pick up with it after, like, season two. So I don't even know what happens yeah. after. Yeah. Um, Carnival, I'm, it's on the back burner. I saw, like, one episode back in the day, and I was like, I need to watch this from in sequence. This makes no sense. It seems like it's cool, though. Uh, maybe it has to do with the gathering of the Juggalos. I don't know. Uh, perhaps. Deadwood, we talked Perhaps. about uh, Game of Thrones. 
Game of Thrones. Good. Consistent uh, quality from beginning to end. <sighs> One, is this the most popular HP, the most popular TV I have, show? I, I think yeah. it's probably the Sopranos at this point. Oh, yeah. It ha- it, it, it's run, its reign of popularity was huge. It was the um, most popular. It was the most streamed show in the world. I know that. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, this was such a money maker for them that, like, eventually they were gonna fuck it up, and they did. When did they fuck it up? When do you think they? Fucked yeah, up? I know we kind of had disagreements about it because I think, I think they, okay, I think season five they fucked up. Yes, that's yeah. I, yeah, I and then I think, it. but then I think they resurrected it with season six, which I didn't say, so I can't really. Right. I don't know where the disagreement was because I. Oh no, maybe maybe yeah, maybe uh, might have been somebody else. But uh season seven it's eight seasons, right? Yeah. yeah it's season- eight seasons, and I know what the plot twist was with like the bringing the fucking White Walker back or whatever was the dumbest yeah. thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, <laughs> yeah, season um, I think yeah. that they cast actors beyond okay, they cast actors beyond their ability and Danny actually went evolved whereas Jon Snow did not and I don't know if this was the writing's fault or the actor's fault but mm. given the arc of the show that was crippling for them where they were going to end up both the actors had to show up for it and I don't think Jon Snow as an actor as a performer really lived up to what they needed from him yeah I, I I'm with you on that I think Jon Snow over the course of the show you were like okay like, is we're doing this again, like that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I think like season seven, like I said, it was like inconsistent, but its best moments were really great. Um, and then season eight was just, yeah, just season uh, eight had the one cool episode where you had all the characters together, like getting ready to die. Where I'm like, this is why I like the show a bunch of interesting characters getting together, right? In an interesting landscape, and then. They had a badly lit battle scene for two hours, which was like watching somebody play Halo. Yeah, playing. And then it was a Twitch. It was a Twitch Game of Thrones stream. More or less, yeah. It was like a badly lit Twitch stream where it kept buffering, and then fucking. I'm glad that you also agree because I couldn't see shit in that episode. Yeah, I don't. And then the rest of it was just like clearly they had whatever Martin's plot outlines were, and they were just like too much. Not enough time, not enough time, not enough time. Which is weird because everybody else seems to be saying they could have had as much time as they wanted. If they you gave, I mean, the, the show could have, the, the last season would have been so much better if you gave them four more episodes and like they could actually like spend some time in a location. Like you said, what was the good thing about that, the, the intro episode where everybody's getting ready to die? Because the second episode, well, it's the first two essentially. Like the first yeah. episode sets everybody back up in position. The second episode, they're like, oh, is everybody get ready to die? Yeah, you're. It's right, right before the battle for Winterfell, and they're all just kind of like stealing themselves for the battle. And you like get everybody catching up with each other. Characters who've never met each other meet each other, and you have all these interactions, and it's cool. And then you have this terrible battle episode, yeah. which is just yeah. not what I, I've never watched Game of Thrones for the battles. Sometimes there are cool battles, and but they're kind of like a bonus, like. I watched it for, like, what got me into the show was the structure of the plot and the characters. Mostly the characters. Like, I'm not a big fantasy guy, and, like, I got into it from the first season, and that made me read the books. And I guess that's, like, you know, book reader Game of Thrones fans are horrible, um, I guess. But the books are so much better, I'm sorry. Like, they're a much more satisfying experience, and they're never going to be done. That's unfortunate. 
Georgie has got to watch the Jets. So, um, but yeah, it's like, yeah, that was what was enjoyable about the show. And it was, you had it for a fleeting moment. And then the rest of the season just felt like they were rushing through what they were given as notes. And the writing of the characters is so beside the point. Like they were just rushing to the end. And I, I watched the bells with my in-laws and they were more committed to the show than I was. And even they were just like, worn out by it like yeah. the thing about it is the show replaced character development with visceral overload and hitting the same beats over and over like jesus christ aria should have died 10 times in that episode like yeah. it numbs the fucking senses when you do the same thing over and over and you know what they numb the senses with and they did this in season five rape they fucking numb the senses with rape true like, cheapened fucking rape dude like like that's just it really showed their priorities were in the wrong place. Like every season of the show, like once you've read the books, like it really does kind of, I guess it makes you an annoying fan of the show because it makes you see every time in the show, they go off pace or off track from what the books were trying to do till it's a completely different animal entirely. And it also highlights just bad things about television and human nature in general, where it's like, what are you watching this show for? Are you watching it for character development or to see women get raped and violence? Like, what are you watching this for? Like, I'd see comments on RYM where it's like, damn, like, this show sucks since Cersei doesn't, or since uh, um, Danny doesn't get her tits out anymore. Like, <laughs> damn, uh, you know, like when they had that 14 year old get raped because you got to see her boobs. Damn. They were, yeah, that, that was, that was exactly what, yeah, that was exactly what that's saying. So, yeah, so, like, something about a combination of the fandom, the getting away from the books, the, like, the over-reliance on battle scenes I didn't care about. Like, there are two seasons I've completely not seen. I'm in no hurry to finish them. I probably never will. And I thought the finale was brutally unsatisfying. It had one or two good, like, little in-joke comedic moments, but it was just not the worst finale ever because, like, Bran didn't become a lumberjack, you know, like, there have been worse finales, so you might there have been there, as much sense as it made. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, it, it isn't like Dexter level, but you know, it's uh, it's, yeah. it's we don't even need to talk about that. We don't even no, need to we don't need to speak, we don't need to speak on that. Yeah, all I'll say is the best thing about Dexter was the season with John Lithgow because John Lithgow owns and he's yeah. one of the best actors ever. He can elevate any material. He made Third Rock from the Sun watchable. That's how good he is. With you. With you 100%. But yeah, that's all I really have to say about Game of Thrones. Um, I don't think... I think it's telling that... I have one more thing to say. That a show that built up so much goodwill, no one's really, like, caping for it anymore. Maybe 10 years from now, there's going to be, like, a reclamation movement or whatever. Maybe when they start rolling out the spinoffs they couldn't do to COVID. But... Like, I don't know. I think they really squandered, like, what could have been, like, an all-time thing. If it ended before the last season, plenty of people would be would be on it. And, and you know, honestly, maybe rightfully so. But the last season was so underwhelming uh, and or terrible, depending on the episode, that uh, uh, it was just like, like, who the fuck cares? <laughs> I agree. Who the fuck cares? Here and now, I don't know. Uh, John from Cincinnati, did you watch any of this? Did not. It's baffling. It's weird, man. It's fucking David Milch, after Deadwood, decided he wanted to make a family drama about a surfer who might be Jesus. 
Mm. People didn't like this. It lasted <laughs> one season. I, I'm, I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah, um, it's worth, I saw about like three or four episodes. I think it was airing when a season of The Wire or something was airing. So I, I like it aired right afterwards because they would do like the, or it was after Curb or something. Like it, it was like, in the programming block where I would, ju- I would just keep the TV on. Um, and I saw some of it and it's shot well, it's interesting, but it's, it's baffling. It's weird. And it like, especially considering how like Deadwood, it almost feels like, uh, okay, you wanted me to do something more marketable after Deadwood. How about Sir for Jesus with incomprehensible daddiest, daddiest dialogue. Here you go. Um, K street. I've never seen this. It's a uh, Steven Soderbergh did like uh avant-garde, like, uh, realist frederick frederick wiseman style thing about like terrible people on k street i have no desire to see this even though i like soderbergh people on k street can go fuck themselves luck was a show that killed a lot of horses Mm. Mm. that was also david milch he has bad luck no pun intended oh that was terrible no don't i really no i swear to god i didn't mean to do that I have not seen the show, so I can't. I can't um, speak. Apparently, it was very good, but it got shut down because several horses died. It's a horse racing show. Um, Maximum Secure. Okay, I got to look this one up because the date on this, 1984. HBO was still TV in 1984. It was not not TV in 1984. It is an American drama television series on HBO about life in a suit. So they did Oz like 20 years before Oz. Yeah, and then they, and then they made Oz. Right. Um. This went seven episodes. They don't have air dates for the first, beyond the first two. This is weird. It's weird that there's not much more info on this. I have to look this up. Um, and then the next one is Oz. <laughs> Interestingly yeah. enough. All right, Oz is, okay. Oz got, Oz was the first drama I remember HBO getting like a prestige reputation on, which is funny if you've ever watched Oz. <laughs> I mean, Oz, you know, we talk about desensitizing people to rape. Very true. Um, how much Oz have you seen? Not the whole show, but like, probably. It goes real batshit crazy after a while. I mean, and it, that, it doesn't start out like particularly grounded in reality. No, I, I don't know. It's a good show. It's a good I, show in, in that. There are good performances on it, but yeah. it's like, I don't know. I, I would not say it, quote unquote, holds up. <laughs> no, no, I probably not. And I, I've only seen a couple seasons. Right. Uh, like, and the later stuff, like um, Luke Perry plays like a televangelist who actually resurrects like Jesus. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I can't really do justice to the later seasons of Oz. It's it gets entertaining in a different way, but it's funny that it like got this reputation as HBO's like, oh, we're serious, when it really was just like, I guess, a precursor of the well, what are you watching this serious show for? Or are you watching it for like a critique of the prison system or just like dudes are getting raped, shanked, you know? You get so yeah. I think that was always the thing with HBO was it was like it was prestige, but it was like they. Well, one of the things was, I forget where I first heard this, but it was like, they always did the mob talking scenes on The Sopranos in the Bing, like with the strippers. Like, they didn't <laughs> have to do that. Like, they, like 
don't you think they ever talked like upstairs where there weren't boobs? Yeah. <laughs> where there weren't people <laughs> listening to their criminal conspiracy? Like, are these strippers taking notes on a criminal <laughs> conspiracy? Oh, God. I guess do, do, do we want to need to talk about? I mean, well, there's we're we got skipping we're, a few, we're skipping a few things. We can come back to Six Feet Under, and I can shit on um, Aaron Sorkin and James Franco later. But we should talk about The Sopranos. Well, I, I'm gonna, I might. All right, I'll You're get my friend the Deuce. You're gonna defend the Deuce, I guess. It's a really good show. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen. I haven't seen the newest season, so don't don't. Oh, my I, wife watched it to the end, and she will say that she her comments on it were that it's a good show except for James Franco's character. And she said that the fact that he did a double role was the most unnecessary masturbatory thing ever. I mean, that is what James Franco is in a nutshell. I agree. Well, I mean, in more ways than one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a layup. Uh, yeah, that was slow pitch softball. Yeah. I, 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 I think it's a really, really good show. I... I have, like I said, what happens in the newest season, so maybe it doesn't get as good as it was no, initially. I mean, but... The last season was just as good as the rest. And okay, I've yeah, seen, I've seen whole episodes too, and she's like Maggie Gyllenhaal's character is the best character on the show, and I agree. Maggie Gyllenhaal's character is uh, outstanding. There's a character that ultimately dies off that's also outstanding. Um, yeah, there's, I, I, I like it. Um, but yeah, I guess you know we we did. Uh, I you haven't seen the leftovers, have you? Leftovers is really that. Um, leftovers that's is the, the that's the lost guy, right? That's um. JJ Abrams um, or no, um, Damon Lindoff. Damon Lindoff. Yeah, right? left, leftovers is uh, David Lind Lindoff. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that it's actually he wrote an ending this time, so it's not bad. But I've not yeah. seen it because fuck leftovers lost. is the rare show that gets better after the first season. Like the first season was like okay and then the next couple seasons were great and you're like what happened here so it improves as it goes on unlike lost i mean but, lost yeah yeah, yeah. But anyway but, i guess if you want to get i mean we can talk about the two main episodes well you want to shit on true blood real quick or no uh okay true blood is an amazing is a good concept that was good for three yeah. seasons and i thought um who was the guy who goes on the news and tears the guy's spine out? Was that Russell? Oh, gosh. I haven't seen the show in I forever. I haven't seen it in forever, but there's one guy who's like the villain on one season. He comes on the news, and he tears the one guy's spine out and gives a speech, and that's the best part of the whole show. Did you see... I'm looking at the wiki right now. The struggle for vampire equality and true blood has been interpreted as an allegory for the LGBT rights movement. Yeah, they were real subtle about that. <laughs> that show was a true blood known for its subtlety. Um, yeah, True Blood got real stupid real quick. Real um, stupid. But I kind it, of agree with you though. Good, good concept. Yeah. Like, like better than. I mean, this is a, but like executed. This is about. This is the Twilight era. So like everybody was obsessed with vampires, and like executed better than that stuff. But you know, yeah. Yeah, I got a Ford after like um. I guess that that third season was the one where they did the Vampire Rights Act, which was supposed to be a very subtle allegory apparently for the marriage equality yeah. um the best scene on the show is when i believe the dude's name is russell he's this old vampire comes on the show rips out of some guy's spine and says why we want equal rights we are not your equals fucking awesome uh but everything on that's downhill anna paquin was not great as the lead because she's not a great actress but she looked really good and 
I thought it had a good cast, um, but it was just got dumber as it went. I couldn't keep up with it. Um, yeah. Uh, so do we? I mean, before we get to like the two big ones, do you want to just shit on Jeff Newsroom real quick? <laughs> you can, you can I, on I've Jeff. only ever seen the. I mean, I've only ever seen the uh, the thing from the pilot. God, it's so. Oh my God, the intro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Have you heard that? That's like that's Aaron Sorkin distilled. Like that's like if you could make an Aaron Sorkin like drug, you would just distill that see, that that little speech into a fucking vial and shoot it into your veins, and then oh you would just do God. nothing but walk and talk for the rest of your life and just get fucking platitudes. Yeah, this show is fucking terrible. It doesn't surprise me that a network that employed Bill Maher for 20 years also greenlit this show for two seasons. Um, yeah, and now um, Jeff Bridges is Atticus Finch on Broadway as, like, the fucking drunken hyper chicken, which is just, like, God, fuck Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin's the worst. Aaron Sorkin really, really, truly, truly is. Um, like, He's really had like such a negative effect on the world with like ever out ever giving back anything positive. <laughs> and that's going and I and to be honest, I love Social Network, but that's obviously tailor made for. I mean, that's Fincher doing his. Well, the his thing, thing is that you can't look at Social Network as something that has protagonists. So the no, because because it, it really like, doesn't. Shitty, vapid, vacant dialogue works to their the effect of the movie. Like it's the Winklevoss twins and. Uh, fucking zuckerberg so yeah. yeah like the fact that their dialogue is stupid and not how humans talk these aren't human beings so it works and yeah like it's aesthetically amazing the resner soundtrack's amazing i don't really i mean sorkin was used well but i don't give sorkin credit mm -hmm. like that was more just finding the right hack voice for these terrible people than it was aaron sorkin writing well I imagine if you watch Sports Night, you'll probably hate it. I mean, I've never seen it, but I imagine as a sports fan, somebody like Aaron Sorkin writing Sports Center, like probably, probably not, sounds like horror, like your worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to say the newsroom is some of the, is one of the biggest galaxy brain shows without being fun. Uh, so it kind of it just yeah, it just Aaron, sucks. Yeah. As best I can tell, I've only ever seen the Jeff Newsroom speech from the pilot. But as best I can tell, the Newsroom is fan fiction about how if Keith Olbermann was allowed to be awesome, then we wouldn't have George Bush. Um, <laughs> the Newsroom is is fan fiction if uh, if the actual uh, president from the West Wing was president, which people actually really I want know. in real life. I I know I know. It's it's the worst shit, dude. <laughs> it's toxic, just nonsense, and fuck Aaron Sorkin. Um, so I guess the well, six feet under. Since we talked about True Blood, I guess this is a bastard child because you said the big two are Sopranos and Wire, which they are. Yeah, Under was around at the same time, and I've watched this all the way through. More than, like I saw every single episode as it aired, which I can't say of the other two. Like The Wire, I missed due to work during the last season. I had to catch the last season after the fact. And um which was we'll get to that when we get to the wire. Um and Sopranos I missed a lot. Like again, I worked on Sundays, which is a bad week to work when you wanted to watch HBO dramas. And uh Sopranos, we'll get to that when I get to that, but something about season four turned me off a little bit. So I missed a few episodes during season four. Um Six Feet Under I was so into that I made a point to if I missed it I would have somebody tape it for me and catch it afterwards, even though in its season four, it also turned me off. But 
as fucking in my feelings high schooler, this show hit me harder than either Sopranos or The Wire, although I would still rank it third because it is the most flawed of the three, but I think it's still at their level. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I haven't seen, I saw it once all the way through and I don't remember all the major beats from the show, so I do need to rewatch it. But well, um, first in its credit is that it's the first major drama I can recall that at length talked about LGBTQ issues like as a weekly thing, not just an episode of the week thing and didn't just have a token character. Like a main character was gay, but it wasn't just he had a gay issue once a week. Like there were <laughs> gay characters that he that came into the orbit like it organically evolved them because Alan Ball obviously is gay. So right. he made that into like the fabric of the show. Like it felt like it was taking on issues that weren't like voices that weren't being heard on television in an occasionally cartoonish tone deaf way. Like whenever he had to write an ethnic character, it was not great. Um, but I feel like it was a sincere attempt to let voices that weren't being heard be heard. And as an ensemble family drama, I, I struggle to think of one aside from the Sopranos that, and it works better as a family drama because this was a family that actually seemed to co like as a family, you want them to actually succeed as a family. Whereas in the Sopranos, they're all horrible and you know, you actually actively root against them by the end, or at least you're supposed to, at least that's what I think David Chase wants you to think. And it's certainly what I thought by the end, but you know, some people just wanted to see Tony shoot people. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that is an unfortunate fact of, of life when it comes to no one as I mean, it was bad then. I almost think it's even worse now. Like no one knows how to. It's, it's such a condescending thing. But like, does, do people know how to like consume art anymore? I mean, I this could be a whole side tangent, but like, when, and I cannot believe my fucking mother comes up yet again on this podcast. But like I said, we watched The Sopranos a lot together at the time. Like that was our one family thing. Me, my mother, and my brother, and. Eventually, in the last season, like, I would watch the episodes before them sometimes, and the first thing they would always ask is, who got whacked? Did Tony kill anybody? It's like, I don't think that's the point. No. And I think that the last season of the show... Okay, well, I guess, since it's the most important one, and we're going to eventually get to The Wire, and that's what we're going to talk the most about, so The Sopranos... How did you come to it, and how did you watch it? I came to it just after watching The Wire. Like, it was one of the ones, like, okay, I've seen The Wire, I've seen Breaking Bad, you know, it's like the the ones that, like, you have to watch these, you know, those kind of those kind of shows. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, um, I just kind of... So you binged it, like after watching. What I was just curious. Oh sure, yeah. I, I was in I was in high school. I was in late high school. I was probably a, a, a junior or a senior in high school, and I watched the show and I was blown away. Um, just for but, comparison's sake, because I watched it as it aired, and right. it was just so different than because because I remember. Um, not I remember, but so I listened to West Wing thing, which is Dave from the Dollop and. Uh, Josh Olsen talking about the West Wing and why it's horrible, going back to Aaron Sorkin and how he's horrible. And right. uh, they always go back to how people would rhapsodize about how the West Wing was so revolutionary for being on television when it was. And Josh always points out, no, it wasn't. The Sopranos was on at the same time. 
Yeah. And granted, West Wing was broadcast TV, Sopranos wasn't TV, it was HBO, but it was still doing things on such a more elevated level, which sounds pretentious, but, and there were precursors to this, like, there was, like, Hill Street Blues, there were, like, you know, shows that had, like, ambiguous protagonists, but what was challenging about The Sopranos and was that it had a protagonist that wasn't a protagonist. Like, you weren't supposed to root for Tony, and I think that some viewers never got out of the mindset. Like, thinking about The Wire, one of the things that David Simon says that people make fun of him for that sounds pretentious, but when you think about it, it makes sense, is that he said the first season of The Wire was a training exercise to break you as a viewer from your preconceived notions of how to view this type of show. And Mm -hmm. The Sopranos... David Chase said that he didn't expect to get a second season. So all of his ideas for the show went into the first season. So the first season is like a mob movie over 10, 11 episodes, 12 episodes, however many it is. And, but he's not doing it in the same style of either a mafia TV show or movie in that ultimately like Tony survives, but he's not a character you're supposed to like or really sympathize with or empathize with. And he doesn't really, like, he's challenging you. But he's not doing the retraining exercise sort of thing. And I don't think he ever did until the end where he's outwardly, like, kind of telling the audience, fuck you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, eventually, I think he got sick of hearing the same questions from his audience. The audience having its expectations of the show. The show got out of, the show became something that he didn't want it to be. So he killed his monster, essentially. But... But yeah, I don't know where I was really going with this, but I think you get my general idea in that in terms of an anti-hero, in terms of the way the show is structured, people come into it with expectations they never let go of. And they were always viewing the show as like, oh, Tony's the boss. Either Tony's going to get redemption or we're supposed to root for Tony this whole way or it's Tony versus Phil, Tony versus Johnny Sack, Tony versus somebody or Tony's going to get his family together. But really, the show is always about disintegration, the disintegration of America, the disintegration of Tony's family, the disintegration of the mafia, the disintegration of image. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I, 100%. Like, it's... And it hits those beats in a way that, like, kind of... Some of which don't sneak up on you, and some of which do. Yeah. And I've only... And you're, you said the same thing about... Um, uh, another show that we went over recently. I've seen it once all the way through, and I need to. Uh, oh no, you said about Sopranos. Yeah, I need to do a Sopranos uh, rewatch, and I was planning on doing it this year. Uh, and then you know, <laughs> then you know, got a job and shit happens. But it's uh, it's pretty crazy. Like I that I still haven't done this rewatch because I was so enamored with the show when I watched it the first time when I was like 17, 18. So I definitely need to go back to it. And and I've watched, I've watched like clips that I really love over the years, like on YouTube and stuff, but never just given into. I mean, Christopher's intervention is like one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All all the, uh, God, uh, I mean, just like, um, fucking Tony Sirico and James Gandolfini do not get enough credit for how funny they are on this show. Or, um, fucking, uh, Chris, um, why can't I remember his name? Um, uh, 1800 Tequila Guy. Uh, go get your shine box. What the fuck is his name? Um, 
God damn it. This is bothering me. Now I have to look it up. You, you like it when uh, you didn't it, like uh, it? Imperioli. Michael Imperioli. Yeah. He's also really funny. I'm a big fan of when Vito gets the sandwich thrown at him at dinner. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. I would say that the Vito gay plot is the one miss in the show. Like, I feel like I see what they were going for and they kind of get there. But like, and I feel like that was Chase kind of lecturing the audience a little bit, maybe a little too bluntly. Yeah. Yeah, I usually am pretty good with like TV writing and like, I understand like it's. It's TV writing, so I'm usually pretty lean. No, I mean, I don't think it's an outright failure that the episodes were unwatchable or anything, but I feel like in terms of, compared to other big Sopranos arcs, it's the one that, especially considering it was near the end, and I see why he did it near the end, because it's like everybody wanted blood, and this is what he gave them. Mm -hmm. So I guess, leading us to, what do you think of the finale, and the the ending scene? Brilliant, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. I loved it. Yeah, my mom and brother were so mad at it. My mom actually was thinking her cable went out. She was not one of the people who called to yell about her cable going out, thank God. But apparently that was like a big thing, was that people called HBO and say, why'd you, why'd the cable go out? But, yeah. Yeah. It's like the cable went out, but it came back and the credits went on. Like, weird. Like, (laughs) weird how that works. Um, I thought it was perfectly pulled off in every way, shape, or form. Like, it's really blunt but i felt like at that point he just felt like why bother with subtlety yeah and apparently it's still going over people's heads it's <laughs> like it wasn't even it was so obvious Ugh. i mean i guess what, what, it's like what, what have we been saying this whole episode, or at least what i've been saying like people it's such a horribly arrogant thing to say but like i'm not saying i do this well either but like people just literally do not know how to consume art like have we really been well i feel like people are just so used to being and this is a horribly arrogant thing pretentious thing to say is like i think people are more used to being spoon-fed shit and that's not to say that you things need to be difficult again like that dumb album wyatt likes the ziggurat constructory or whatever the fuck like it doesn't need to be like complex to be good but you need to be able to put a little bit of effort into something. I oh, no. just a little basic, bit. That's the thing. It's like basic fucking level of effort into like, and I think that's what was frustrating Chase over the level of the show. And I think you can feel it through the show's progression. Like there was a reaction to season four, and I actually was on the negative side of season four because it ends with the Tony and Carmela breakup, which is actually heartbreaking. It's the first episode of the show that goes over an hour. And like that's probably the most emotionally raw season because it also has the Ralphie material, which you can probably read as a comment on the nihilism of the audience. Right. You violent mafioso. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. But, but no. Yeah. But yeah, so I was like, oh, this is boring. We're just watching a dude fight with his wife for an hour. Like, what the fuck? And so then he gives you season five, which is a self, almost a self-contained mafia story with Tony Blundetto, uh, Steve Buscemi. And it's perfectly done. Like, I feel like that was his last, and I'm sure that was still criticized at the time. I don't remember. I was working at the time and also in college, so I wasn't really in tune to like the internet reaction to it. I wasn't tuned to the internet reaction to the very end. 
and also the personal reaction, like I said, from my family. And I feel like, yeah, like people were just throwing it back at him that you're not giving us the show we want. Like he would kept trying to make the, he kept trying to say what he wanted to say. And people were just throwing back at him. You're not giving us what we want. You're not giving us the show we expected. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, not giving. I know the audience always in a lot of shows, movies, fandoms, whatever. This is what I fucking hate about Star Wars. Anytime anything happens, that's like mildly unconventional. You're ruining my child. Right, exactly. It's like, how about you uh, grow up? <laughs> Right, like, I've seen... The only one of the new Star Wars movies I've seen in full is the second new one, where, uh, spoiler alert, Luke Skywalker dies. That's the only yeah. good one of the ones I've seen, and that's the one they all hate. Right, no, I agree. That That, that, that is the best one of the, the new three. I, I mean, agree. I guess, true to the original trilogy, the second one's the best. But. Yeah. I mean, pe- people hated Empire when it came out, though, so... I guess it... I mean, You're it's ruining not... three years ago. Why is he his father, man? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, leave I the memories alone. God, that's the 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 people talk about how much they hate the Marvel fandom, and like, yeah, that's trash. But also, the I mean, the superhero fandom in general, like, at least I can kind of get it because, like, I do think that there are there are like I can understand like if you really, but you don't hear this from all the like if uh, when I was uh, the superheroes that I really fucked with when I was younger were like Spider Man and Batman. Those were like the only good ones that like I really liked, and like because I mean Batman I wouldn't call relatable, but Spider Man was like relatable. Wait, you you know? a millionaire who's Wait, who, for going to the who hates everyone in life, <laughs> who has a butler who will get him everything. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. Um, I mean Batman though. The thing about Batman is like the whole point is that he's ridiculous. People are like, oh, Batman's so awesome. It's like, well, no, he's sad and pathetic. That's the point. <laughs> He's also kind of like a fashy bitch. Like he's kind of like the epitome of like libertarian authoritarianism. Yeah, he just beats up random fucking people, and it's like I have to protect the city. It's like, well, no, I no, mean, you don't. Maybe cops should have Batman things on their cars instead of Punisher things on their cars. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Uh, yeah, Batman definitely, yeah, definitely not a cab. <laughs> def, def, definitely not. You're not going to see that in a Batman. A bab. Movie. All bats are bitches. A ba- <laughs> that's that's the episode title. All bats are bitches. A ba- <laughs> Oh god. All right. Moving on. Uh, so we. I guess the, the lower than a cop is a bat, but you know what's a good cop? Lester Freeman. And you know what's a good show? The Wire. Wire. God, The Wire. Good show. Never heard of it. Never. Heard of it. Yeah. So it's a show about a. Uh, teacher, <laughs> Mr. <Yeah>. P. <laughs> it's Mr. P. Hey, yo, Mr. P. Can I go to the bathroom? He's like, yeah, fine, go. <laughs> you know, the, they're all like, they're all yelling and screaming, standing on top yeah. of desks. Kids are fighting each other. <laughs> yeah, that's the '80s sitcom. Uh, Where you at, Mr. P? <laughs> I also just thought of a uh, Where's Waldo spinoff. Where's Wallace? Mr. P, can I break into your car? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, so just to get it out of the way, because I listened to a podcast about this recently, is the wire propaganda? No, it's my. But what about David Simon being a dickhead? David Simon being a dickhead, very valid point. Um, 
And if you've actually read Homicide, Homicide ends with literal fan fiction about how these homicide detectives are badasses who will catch you. And if you read up about the people he writes about, they've like almost all had like charges filed against them for being horrible cops who violate people's civil rights. So it's like, wow, I like that book and I like that show, but damn, Jay Lyons I think really is a piece of shit. My, I guess my my take to say is that I think no matter what the plenty of creators have gone on to be shitheads or were shitheads at the time of making things, and I think you know regardless of what God. This okay, is well, I guess my regardless of what, not- regardless of the actual medium, to me speaks for itself in the sense that. I don't think it can be propaganda because all the cops in the show, for the most part, are either they either have to you know stab somebody's back to rise up in the ranks and they have to do terrible shit to the community to like get to where they want to be, or they're doing terrible shit to the to people in the community as a result of their position, or they're fucking McNulty and they're huge assholes and self-absorbed pricks. Um, well, I think the argument for it being propaganda is that it ultimately argues that there's a function for police to exist, like good police. Like it argues good police. Yeah, it, it gives you the Lester Freeman. It gives you the Lester Freeman. Right. It gives you Lester being saintly, and like Lester never fucks up. Like even season five, he's the well, no, no. Season yeah, he five, fucks up. Five, yeah. McNulty's bullshit. Season five, and he also in the first couple seasons, Lester. Has kind of acknowledged that he's given up a long time ago. He does. I, mean, kind I of think it's anti-system, but I don't think it's anti-cop. Cop. That's that's fair. That's fair. But it's anti-system as being uh, the reason for you know policing the way it is. It's it's the it's the inefficiency and the corruptness of corruptness. I mean, I think it's. Definitely commenting on systemic rot. It's not propaganda in the same way that like Law and Order is, nor Brooklyn Nine Nine. Where Brooklyn Nine Nine is a show where I can like appreciate how it's like comedically structured, but ultimately is problematic in that it makes like cops into figures of fun. Where it's like, oh, let's watch Andy Samberg violate this guy's civil rights, but it's fun. Right. He's Andy Samberg, you know, ha ha ha. He just violated that guy's civil rights. He just. What do you What do you think about the Shield then, and how it? I mean, I never liked the Shield. Actually, I thought it was um, kind of a cheap ripoff of HBO stuff. I thought that it got better as it went from what I saw of it, but I never committed too much time to it. I kind of put it in the same box as Dexter, where it was like, people watched this just for the visceral thrill, and there were some good performances on it, but ultimately mm-hmm. it was kind of cheap entertainment. I mean, I don't think The Shield... Well, The yeah. Shield's not making systemic criticisms the way... No, that. oh God, no, no. And I think the shield is like I don't think the shield's twenty four in terms no, of like no, actual no. apologism. But I mean it kind of it kind of hates a lot of the cops in the show. On a surface level. I feel like it's yeah. also like but you know these dudes are bad too, you know. It, it oh it definitely has a lot of that. Way more than the wire. The wire right. never like the, the wire, wire never always, wags its finger at you and says, "Yeah, Marlowe's bad too." It doesn't have to, right? Like the wire is a neutral. The wire is a neutral perspective for the most part, except for and when the wire is openly telling you someone's bad, it's like Milnimo in season four. By the way, I thought that was hilarious. It's like one of the few outwardly juvenile things Simon does is he names the guy in season four who replaces Daniels after a journalism fucking yeah. <laughs> professor or something. 
or like a newspaper boss who like suppressed all his stories. So the worst guy on the show is named after him. It's named after him. It's such a, it's such a, uh, it, it is quite juvenile, but it's pretty funny. No, it's funny. And th- that guy is such an asshole and he's good in his role. Um, but yeah, I don't think the shield is trying to do the same stuff. And at first I was just like, the shield is just trash, but I'm kind of like indifferent to the shield. Now I have no desire to revisit it, but I think that for what it does, it's fine. Ultimately, it's not trying to comment on anything. I think as long as you don't take it as commentary, it's fine. Yeah, I, re- I remember liking the show, but I don't. I didn't make it all the way through, so I don't. I don't know. Like, uh, I also don't remember it ever dextering it up and just like going completely off the rails. Bad writing, bad plotting, bad life. Yeah, I think it generally like stayed. It didn't go Sons of Anarchy or anything like South. So yeah. Um, okay. So second hard question about the wire. Season sure. five. Did it go South? I like season five. It's definitely not as good as the first four seasons. Um, I don't, not even close. You could argue, but um, I, I enjoy season five. I think it's, I think it's fun. If season five was a season of any other show. It'd be one of the best seasons of any. Yeah. I think it's, it's it followed really seasons three and se- it followed okay seasons two through season four are three of the best seasons of any show ever and I will defend season two to my death. Uh, I love I, to be honest with you. I think one to four is a great. I, I love one. Okay, so my how- arguments against one are that, like he said about it being a training exercise, I feel like there are clumsy moments in one. Like I agree. When we play the thing at the very end of the pilot. There are like clumsy bits of dialogue, like when they establish Presbyterian character, it's a little heavy handed. Like there's stuff that's not as graceful, but two through the end of three, like two, three and four are the best two seasons of dramatic television I've ever yes. seen. Period. Yes. Period. Yes. I'm with you. I think my argument for one is that there are there's something to be said for all those characters in that situation playing off each other and like. We never get that again in the show. Fair and we never we never get those circumstances. Like, like McNulty goes on the boat. Yeah, like we like McNulty ends up going on the boat, and like you know all this other you know the, they they break up, and you know D'Angelo was in prison, all this shit. Like, so it never it doesn't like recapture. Like there's there, there's a there's a magic to me of like that first season that it kind of it's not my favorite season of the show. It's you know probably third or fourth. But there's just something about that season for me that, like, the circumstances all kind of line up and it really hooks you into the show. I mean, it does hook you. The thing about it is it did take me to it. Like, I remember when it first started airing, I was confused. Like, because yeah. it started airing after, I believe, the end of season three of The Sopranos with the Jackie Jr. episode and Anthony Jr. maybe going to military school and all that. And I forget, I don't believe, I think Sopranos and Six Feet Under alternated at that point, so there was no Six Feet Under. So it started with the uh, McNulty, like, um, McNulty fucks everything up, Snot Boogie, all that stuff. Snot Boogie, and, yeah. I mean, it's America, yo. Gotta it's America, that. yeah. So why do they call him Snot Boogie? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. They're like, so wait a minute. You're telling me that you let Snot Boogie play <laughs> every week, even though you know he's going to steal from you. <laughs> Got to, yeah. Got to. Got to. Gotta let him play. But and that intro theme song is absolutely flames. Just the way it comes in. Also, uh, 
obligatory controversial statement for our my my RYM persona. Only good thing Tom Waits ever did. Season two theme. Yeah, I mean that's my favorite thing he's ever done. Only good thing he's ever done. I know. But, uh, I mean, but I don't. I'm also not like a Tom Waits guy, really. I, I think a lot of his stuff is like, eh, it's cool. It's like fine, but I don't. You know, I, I don't love him. I don't hate him. I know you. I know you are a, a hater, a proud hater. Yeah, um, I'm not changing. Yeah, and that's I, and that's fine. I, I'm not going to argue with you. I I don't have enough of an opinion to argue with you. <laughs> I mean, I've listened to two whole albums, and they're both garbage. And I've heard. Tom Sharpling tells stories about him eating in actual diners and being mean to waitresses and not tipping them, which it's like, you're, Sounds a, about right. you're like a rich pretend hobo. That's horrible, dude. But <laughs> rich pretend hobo. But yeah. yeah, so the thing about Wire season one is that it does take a little bit to get going, but it's like a good book in that way. He's establishing his characters. That's why it's not the best season, but it's a it's essential. Like, I would never recommend anybody do anything but start from the beginning. And I would never recommend that anybody skip season five either. Like, I don't think that it's tacked, like, I've heard criticisms that it kind of tacks on a little bit of a redemptive arc in a way. I guess people are mainly talking about Bubbles that there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I think Bubbles deserves the, the arc. Well, I think that's a testament to how the actor fleshes out his character and no one else on the show has a redemptive arc, so give somebody something. Because <laughs> literally the point of the finale is that everybody else falls into the same cycle, so let somebody, like, let one person fucking break out of it. You know? Right, and that's the thing. It's like, that. we're going to talk about this, uh, this, this ending, uh, the ending montage in season five, the last five minutes, that montage, oh, yes. is one of my favorite things in television history, easily. I mean, I you mean, can argue between that and the Six Feet Under One for all times. I mean, the argument against the Six Feet Under One is that it's technically like an ad for a, an electric car, but and yeah. also the Sia song on top of it. Arguably, but you know, the Sia song works. But so there's arguments against that one, but they're both like, okay. So my wife has started watching Grey's Anatomy again. Mm-hmm. Like, is a show that she's watching it from the first season. And it's interesting to watch it from the first season because this was in like 2007, I believe. And you can see how it really influenced television from there on out because every show has this fucking montage at the end. Like every show is now ending like The Wire and Six Feet Under ended their series. Where it's like characters learn things and like music plays. Like yeah. that's how episodes end. That's how series are supposed to end. People, yeah. like You're right about people not knowing how to consume art anymore because now they want a whole series in an episode. Yeah. People don't have the, 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 the attention uh, spans for, you know, 12 or, or 10 60-minute episodes. Right. That's kind of sad. Like, you can't devote, you know, the Lord only asks an hour a week. You go to church. Yeah, oof. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yikes. But, but my point being is that this has become like a formulaic thing, but when these two shows did it, it was artful. Sopranos finale is a completely whole different thing, and that was like a perfect use of, as LP would say, to tie it back to a previous episode, a beautiful use of negative space. Hmm. <laughs> But Boris, <laughs> yeah, 
No, I think, and like I said, to the fifth season of The Wire, I still love. I'll still do oh, yeah. it. Like, I mean, it's, it's not. It's a little heavy handed in a way that the show yeah. And it's a little out of date, I guess. It's, hard, it's easier to say it's out of date now, knowing what we know about print media dying. But think about when David Simon wrote that. And also, I think there was a time gap between the writing and filming and when it aired. It aired in 08, I believe. I'm pretty sure he wrote and filmed it in like 06. And mm-hmm. I think there was like a media jump at that point. Like we got into the blog era just as he was filming something about print media. Stuff. Yeah, I think so I think it it's felt it's, a little instantly dated in that regard. I, yeah, I think it's okay for the time. Obviously, looking back at the wire now, I mean, it's like it's like a period piece that still holds that still holds like a rings true you know what i mean well i mean i feel like the commentary on dishonest journalism doesn't need to be like a hundred percent accurate over time in terms of the media medium it's just what the what he's saying about journalists being liars holds true regardless of the medium they're using to lie absolutely and that's and that's my field you know i i can attest to that it is remarkably easy to lie in journalism, even though you're drilled, you're drilled in your head not to do so. And I think that partially what he was commenting on, given when it dropped, it was in 08, but when he wrote it, was, I'm sure, about Iraq. Like, and he also wrote Generation Kill around the same time, too. So it's just about media lies, and that's just gotten worse. Like, think about the glut of media. People were telling us about this media is just lying worse now at this point. There is no reality. You know, what you don't like, it's fake news. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, uh, if, if you hate it, if, if you're not into it, if it speaks to something that you don't agree with, it's, it must be fake. Right. Shout out to the however many people. I, I think it's like 30,000, but on InfoWars, they told me it was 3 million marching on Washington to stop the steal right now because they're mad that their racist didn't beat the other racist. Damn. Uh, Damn. Fake news, Sad. bro. Fake news. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. You just, things you hate to see. And it's just that. <laughs> A giant circle with that. <laughs> I, I was, so I guess we can go through, like, what are some of your favorite moments throughout the show? Um, I mean, obviously, like, we just do Omar favorite moments. God, we could do that forever. <laughs> I mean, him on the stand with Levy, where it's like the briefcase versus the where he calls him out, like you got the briefcase, I got the gun. I mean, wh- wh- he's he's wearing the 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 clip on tie that's not clipped on, right? <laughs> when he calls Bird out, dude, that is so funny. <laughs> that whole scene is so good. Oh my gosh! Also, you're talking about. Is it season five or whatever when they have the Omar come and scene where people just drop their shit as opposed to getting robbed? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's a great one. Also, uh, I like the I like the scene of um, God, what's the what's the scene? Uh, oh no, the the Snoop buys a nail gun. That's one of my favorites too. Oh, yeah, where she got, like, I didn't understand a word she just said. <laughs> No, the guy's like, oh, yeah, that's, like, really great. She's like, oh, so Yumi doesn't have any kickback, right? Oh. Like, yeah, no kickback. And he's like, great, all right, cool. And then she goes into the car, and she's breaking down the whole model, and the guy's like, are we good? He's like, oh, hell yeah, we're good, we're good. We're about to go kill this guy. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that now. 
oh yeah, there's there's some scene where Snoop's like talking to somebody in Baltimore about like oh that go go shit you listen to, and then Michael oh, shoots yeah. him right in the fucking head. The, oh my! Well, also early an early season episode that was later season, but an early season yeah. episode of um, just McNulty and uh, fucking fucking uh, what is it? McNulty and Bonker in the kitchen. They're just like fuck. Oh yeah, fucking uh, fuck. Uh, oh yeah, that's like apparently like a straight minute and a half of the lines are nothing but fuck repeated over and over. Yeah, that's true. That is. It's it's so smart because you can just. You're putting it together also alongside them. But also you're like, am I putting it together? Am I sure this is right? Yeah. Um, when uh, Bunk sits next to Omar on the uh, on the bench. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's so good. I think that's the only scene they have together, by the way. Like just the two of those. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. I think you're right. I'm trying to rack my brain for any. I mean, I'm the early season. I mean, they had the the chess. The chess scene's great. You um, know, it's not one scene, but the way they build the Bodie and McNulty relationship in season four, and then yeah. they fucking break your goddamn soul. Soul in the finale. Yep. When he's like, when Bodie's talking about, oh, I just, you know, I just gotta get out of here. I just like, you know, I'm pretty uh, sure that's I, the same episode as where the fuck is Wallace? Uh, not where the fuck is Wallace? Where um. The kid goes back to the group home. Yes, Randy. Shit beaten. Randy goes back to the group home and gets the shit beaten out of him in like the same 20 minutes. That is probably the most emotionally devastating, like it's br- I mean it's brutal. Because you're you're in you're in his corner. You want to root for Randy. Like that season, just the way it develops those kids, and yeah, like three and four in general, like I said, are the best two dramatic seasons of television I've ever seen. Like I didn't necessarily feel that way when I was watching them at first. Cause I missed episodes, but when I binged it and just saw it, I had to watch it in like two nights straight. And it was just such a fucking cold water. Like, wow. Just, Oh, I mean, Bodie literally like dying just on his corner. And it, and earlier in the episode, he was just like, you know, I'm a pawn, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I've always been a pawn, but I'm going to rise up. I'm going to make it out of this. I'm not going to be a pawn anymore. I'm going to be like a bishop or a rook or whatever, whatever he was saying, like the back well, of that chance analogy. I, I, I think I mentioned this before on the show, or at least definitely mentioned it to you, is that somebody pointed out, and I think it was on a Guardian of all places, comment thread about when they were doing a wire watch, where it was like he moves like a pawn, he moves straight one walk to another, but Michael moves diagonally like a bishop. Yeah. Which, that feels intentional. Um, With all the chess imagery in the show, like that comes back from the first season, so. Like, the way they build Avon's character. When Avon comes back in season five. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's just a little cameo, but it's so fucking funny. Also, when uh, uh, when Michael says goodbye to Dookie, mm. Mm. And, oh god, Dookie's arc at the end too. Oh, it's so painful. Like that's the thing is this show got me to like the thing about like the Sopranos. I didn't care about anybody by the end. Not even Melfi, even though like Melfi had reasons you should care about her. No one in the Sopranos fam like. Like, Chase went out of his way to make sure you didn't care about any of these people. You're like, they're terrible. You're terrible if you like them. Six Feet Under, it's debatable. Like, 
they have good characteristics. They have bad characteristics. They act terribly over the course of the show. The Wire, there are people who are just destroyed by their circumstances and have no control over it. And you watch them get destroyed. Yeah. I think that's what makes it by far the most powerful of the shows. And the most enduring. Because these systems still exist. Still. And they'll, they'll still get you. Like... And, and it's it, the whole point. The show is such a cyclical show. Like the world is going to keep turning in the end, whether you're alive or not. I mean, yeah, that's the message of the last episode is one person turning over into the next. Like the one person fills the role. The last person did. Yeah. No longer filling. And no show has that much empathy while also saying that the world has no empathy at all. It's a cynical show that somehow still has a heart. And you can level any number of criticisms at it that it's too sympathetic to cops, that it doesn't write enough roles for women, which it doesn't necessarily. I think that he tried to remedy that with Eileen. I think that he wrote a great role for a black lesbian woman of color. Uh, um, black lesbian. That is the dumbest thing I've ever fucking said on this show. And I it's a high bar. Believes it, but <laughs> it's really bad. But, you know, he wrote a role for a black lesbian as a lead, as a cop, which certainly wasn't being written anywhere else. Like, so there are definite criticism of The Wire. It's not above criticism, but I think for what it tries to say and how it conveys it in an hourly drama format, it's the best dramatic show I've ever seen. Yeah. And I, and the, the scene of Avon and Stringer on the roof in season three when they're talking about like their youth or whatever, and then String dies at the end, of, you know, gets killed at the end of the episode. That's another. Oh, yeah. Like, season three is one scene after that, after another. Like, fucking Muzon. Well, is Muzon and Omar season three or season two when they have the standoff? Oh, um, I thought that was season three. I think it's season three because Muzon's introduced in season two and then he goes away and they call Muzon back. He's reading the newspaper. (laughs) Right. And then he's like, (laughs) everyone's like kind of scared of him. Like, this guy's weird as fuck. Like, what? (laughs) Who is this guy? Yeah, because then Muzon and Omar are like, all right, let's kill this guy. So yeah, that's another. That's like a, that's the cold open too, with Muzon staring at Omar and like a straight up like Sergio Leone's Getty Western standoff. And yeah, just like okay. these two guys that are just like, like it does these things where it's like it marries like cop like standard like TV cop procedural stuff to like when like that whole montage where with the Greek before um, Frank, you know has what happens to Frank and like that's one of the best montages I've ever seen like the whole arc for like Ziggy like Ziggy's one of the most unlikable characters ever but his arc is so sad like powerfully fucking sad yeah no Ziggy's arc is uh gosh I mean just brutal also what was the episode where you you get a little light in Omar's like day to day routine like he goes to he gets some cereal cereal yeah, I'll cheer. like, <laughs> Cheerios. He's like, y'all got the honey nut. Like, no. I think that might be season one because I think it's his boyfriend who ends up getting tortured with the cigarette. Right, and that's like, he leaves yeah. and he comes and he comes back and his boyfriend is killed or something like that. God, what a yeah. So yeah if you get nothing else out of this episode, if you haven't watched The Wire, you uh. <laughs> Either need to go and watch The Wire, and then you can listen to this podcast, or you can't listen to this podcast. So, yeah, hopefully the former. We, we hopefully want, the former. You we want you to watch, watch the show. Yeah, we yeah, want you to watch it's a wonderful show. But uh, 
we are living off borrowed time. This has been me and Caleb bullshitting for two hours. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we will see you next time with something. Hopefully a little bit more of substance. It ain't going to never stop. 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 Time will dawn upon us.